On today's show, we are getting to know David. But first, a word from today's sponsors. Andre Psyche is the freelance creator extraordinaire, someone who makes music, poetry, art, clothing, and lives to make others feel good. Search him up on any social media, Andre Psyche, the next time you are looking to add some creative stimulation to your social media circle. Patreon.com helps creators like me to earn a monthly income to help pay for podcasting expenses. Support the Getting to Know You Pod's creative endeavors through Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, your money will go towards the cost of producing, distributing, and improving the quality of this podcast. Go to the Getting to Know You Patreon, link in the description, and again, for as little as $2 a month, you can have a part in supporting the Getting to Know You Pod as we continue to get to know all sorts of people from all over the world. Two bucks too much? Here are three free ways to help. Get your thumbs ready. One, push the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to the Getting to Know You Pod on. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You Pod on our social media like Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Three, go to Apple, write a review. Your support, dear listener, whether it's with your thumbs, our Patreon, or ideally both, is greatly appreciated. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about you. I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you. Getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you. Putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. And David, who has um, just educated me on a new way to say David, um, that is not his. David, thank you so much for coming on the Getting to Know You Pond, letting people get to know you, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. Dude, I, I was, um, I don't know, I was telling you a little bit about my day beforehand, but I'm super fucking interested I go through these Joe Rogan comments. I look for people who might want to come on a podcast. I'm pretty sure I saw your a comment of yours in Joe Rogan's, but then I find out you're making a graphic novel that looks like like a video game. It, 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 oh, it, that? is that how you found me? <laughs> I, yeah, I think so. I think you posted in Joe uh, Rogan's um, some Joe Rogan post on IG, and then yeah. I scroll through those comments because I figure if they post on Joe Rogan stuff, they're into podcast they're into conversation they're into just shooting the shit talking about things so i message people who are in there right and then when i click on your profile and i see you're making this i don't even know how to describe um the cover i saw like the kingpin um what's the video game san andreas um grand theft auto grand theft auto yeah it gave me a grand theft auto vibe like it would be a graphic work or a graphic novel of like one of the characters backstories or some shit man it looked dope as hell so yeah you know what yeah now to think of it it does look like grand theft auto it's yeah that 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 color tone style is called two-tone um coloring and i guess yeah grand theft auto they do the same kind of uh coloring for their illustrations but yeah, I haven't realized that. But yeah, um, thanks for noticing that. And um, uh, yeah, so currently um, I'm uh, I'm trying to get this a graphic novel like made. 
I, I wrote the, the script. I mean, I started it like 10 years ago when I was a student. Um, and then, you know, it's COVID, so it, like, it resurfaced. I was like, man, there's so much time on my hands, what do I do? Right. And then I realized, oh, man, I have this like, um, passion project that I had since I was like in university. Uh, let's, let's work on that. And then I managed to finish it. And then I have a friend who's an illustrator, and that's so the illustrations that you saw uh, were all his. And I like I was kind of nervous, but he's like a professional, and I was like, "Hey, man, um, got this thing. I'm like, you mind if I do a pitch on you?" And then he, I did, and he ended up like liking it. So we've been like working on like this graphic novel project since like this January this year, and at the moment, like we were doing a Kickstarter. And we're trying to like get money for to do prints, to get some equipment, um, and to hire like a colorist, additional colorist, and like just extra help stuff, right? And I think like honestly, like for advertising, I think that was the only comment I made on um, on Instagram advertising. <laughs> so that's kind of funny how you saw that because I don't I don't even remember it. I think I was on Joe Rogan's like post, and I was like, you know what? I might as well try it. Like, I just like, see what like, happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. That's kind of funny. Yeah, that's really really funny. Do you do you remember what I wrote? I do not, man, because the sad part of me is what I'll do. Um, I don't know if it's sad. I, I find it thrilling. <laughs> but when I zoom out, I look at it as sad. I go to the bar and I'll grab lunch. So I get a beer, I get a light lunch. And instead of just like mm -hmm. scrolling through social media for like mindless stuff, I go to Joe Rogan and I just scroll through the comments and I fire off almost like a bot. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because I, I have a message that I try to DM people and then I go back to their comment and like try to reply under it. This way, hopefully, they're not, it doesn't come off as bots ish because you've mm -hmm. tried to hit them in two different places. You tried to make somewhat of a unique message. Um, but, dude, I'll, whatever, I'll do 40, 50 of them. And then sometimes you get ghosted by people. Sometimes people are like, yeah. Sometimes you just never hear from them. Sometimes they commit and then don't show. So it's kind of random. I like the randomness of it, but all yeah. that to give you a long answer to say, I'm sorry, I do not remember the comment. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. But you've done a lot of these because I, at first I was kind of just like, what? What the fuck is going on? It's like a <laughs> podcast out of like nowhere. And right. then I, uh, when I looked into it, I was like, oh, this is, this whole idea is kind of cool. You do, you've done a lot too. Yeah. You've done a lot of people. Yeah, it's a, it's a somewhat of the passion project that happened for me during COVID as well. Um, I actually, mm. while I was, um, I got home like 20 minutes early, I just posted uh, an episode where I did with Rod, who's from London, um, and he was the butcher's boy on Game of Thrones. So I don't know oh, if you, what? Yeah, That's crazy. Yeah. So dude, I, I started rewatching Game of Thrones. Yeah, just random shit. I love the randomness. So watching yeah. Game of Thrones, I see the butcher's boy get slayed. I'm rewatching. I'm like... I wonder what happened to that dude. I wonder what the fuck he is, whatever, years later. Wikipedia, yeah. hit him up through social media, same kind of random message. And he was like, yeah, man, that seems like fun. I'd love to come on. And I was like, what? So, Yo, by the way, if you want, I have a, one of my friend's um, cousin. He's like one of my best friend's cousin. He, uh, he was uh, the, one of the Lannisters. No and, shit. Um, yeah, he's like this Irish actor. He's an amazing actor. And <laughs> he got the he got uh, the last season of Game of Thrones where um, I think the the Lannister castle is getting attacked, and he's a soldier that says attack <laughs> or like like release the catapult or something like that. 
Yeah, if you I can if you want I can ask him too. Dude, <laughs> like, fuck yeah! Like yeah, <laughs> dude, hell yeah! So <laughs> yeah. I had the other thing that was just random as hell. Um, is I was watching Juno, and I love yeah. Juno's bedroom. She has this line where like she's on this um like a, a Whopper phone, and like she has this oh, love. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. whole style to the movie is dope as hell. And I'm like, who set that up? Google, Wikipedia, find the production designer. Um, and I've recorded with him, Steve. He fucking did like Spider-Man 2. He, he's Amazing. done so much shit, man. The movie's up in the air with George Clooney. Like he's been Emmy nominated for all these things. And you're wow. like, <laughs> I just talked to you for three hours because I thought Juno looked cool. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. I have this podcast. Do you want to come on? And people have been so much like you, man. Like I'm so grateful to the people early on because when I didn't have a lot of episodes – yeah. like who the fuck are you man what are you doing you know but once you get some episodes and you're able to show people hey this is an actual thing that i'm amazed that people are cool with the idea I, I i love it i love the fact that people are cool like man you just get to know random people and compile it that's kind of dope and i'm like fuck yeah i thought it would be cool yeah honestly man i would have done it even without all the all the like the history of it oh yeah just, like doing weird shit yeah i would have been like yeah fuck yeah i'll do this guy's like, <laughs> podcast <laughs> even if he's a creeper, even if it's... I don't give a fuck like this, man. Like a Craigslist encounter, man, I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine if I I haven't gone on to like Craigslist looking, but that would be some dark shit. I bet. Oh man, there's there's gotta be some crazy stuff happening at Craigslist. I, I was thinking about it like. Cause when I was trying to advertise for the Kickstarter and everything, I was like, okay, let's do Reddit, try to do all of the forums, right? And um, it, and then it came to, like, Craigslist. And then, funny enough, Craigslist had, like, a one-week waiting period after you've created your account. So you can't, like, post under classified or, like, whatever. So I had to wait. And then after, like, the week, I'm like, you know what, Craigslist? You don't even deserve me, you fucking creeper. <laughs> like, I know the type of people who are going to be on that forum. And even if I said, hey, guys, I have a graphic novel project. They're like, they're looking for some dark shit. They're not yeah. looking for to fund a, like, I, I don't know, Kickstarter. So it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, or they're going to offer you like, hey, I'll give you $10 to your Kickstart, but send me blank. And then you're going to yeah. have to fucking do like 20 <laughs> second videos, pictures of your feet. Yeah. You know, you're going to find yeah. some weird guys in the backs. You're like trying to get the right angle. Like, honey, get the selfie stick. This guy yeah. wants to see my tram stamp. You're like, yeah. But you don't have a tram stamp. I do for him. He's giving me 10 bucks. Like, give me 10 bucks, Let's do it. Get the camera. I know. I'm just running to go get henna. A henna tattoo to make it look like yeah. it's real. Like stupid shit like that I feel would be all over Craigslist. Dude, that's hilarious that you're just, you just get into doing random shit like that, huh? Yeah, like um, it's it's kind of a shame because I I'm I'm like 34 now, uh, I'm I, I feel like I'm more grounded now. Right. But I'm just until like even like my early 30s and like whatever, I was always like a yes man, and I, I always did like whatever. Because I even like like recently, like, maybe a few years ago, like if my uh, my friend got married and it was across the country. And I just couldn't make it. But if I was like in my twenties, I would have like no question. I would have been like, yeah, let's do it. And I would have like flown over. 
Uh, even like I have another wedding that, that I'm going to just across the country to all the way to the West Coast. And even for that, I, I like hesitated. I hesitated to say yes. And then like, I was making like a pro and con board, oh. which is super old. You <laughs> like Jim like, Halpert. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm doing this and I'm like, man, what am I doing? Who did I become? And um, yeah. And then when I, when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I'm just going to say yes to it and then let's go. And even for this, like, I just, like, I didn't even want to hesitate. And it's, it feels good. It feels good to just, like, kind of do this. Like, meet, yeah. meet a new person, have a conversation. Like, you know, it's just. It's fun. It's true, man. And that's something also people have said, which I find to be really cool. And it's not like, um, I don't know, it's not like a famous thing, but it's people have been like, it's just fucking interesting to like break up the monotony of my week. And like, you look forward to doing something that a lot of people have never done before. Like, I'm mm-hmm. gonna come on a podcast, be a guest. What? You're going to feature me? It's like, yeah, man, why not? And it's, it's a weird shift also, because I'm similar at the point I turned 40 this summer grounding and like being a yes man i've always struggled with being the yes man so i can appreciate the dudes who are just on the fly down to do whatever yeah, yeah. it's a good trait man so I, I have a question for you so um you're a teacher yep so uh every year um you're getting a new batch of students so in a way you're kind of meeting new people every single year as well why did you have to do a podcast to meet more people on top of all of that? No doubt, right? Um, so, because I can't monetize and pimp out the kids that I meet. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know, dude. I just, it, it's that is true. Like I do, I've reached. I forget if it's Dunbar's number, but there's a certain number where you can't remember past it. You can't really connect past it. I want to say it's like 150 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it from like Malcolm Gladwell's, who's another Canadian. Are actually are you Canadian? I know you're in uh, Toronto. I'm, I'm I'm from Korea, but yeah, I'm um. It's such a tricky question. I'm I'm from Korea. What's Korea? Uh, I have a Canadian uh, South Korea from Seoul. Oh, okay. But uh, I uh, have a Canadian citizenship. I'm naturalized Canadian. Gotcha. Uh, but I also lived in the states as well when I was growing up. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so I kind of grew up all over. All that to say, Malcolm Gladwell is a Canadian author. I love his books. (laughs) Um, And that's where I get the Dunbar number from. But yeah, I've reached the point, man, because I'll know I coach basketball as well. So I'm like meeting those kids. I'm meeting the family. I have my students. And it's like 150 people every year that get cycled through. But then you run into them randomly throughout your day. I saw like six kids today going to the fucking water park in Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, I'm almost positive I know you. But it was like seven years ago and now you have a beard or you're like, you got a man (laughs) bun. What are... So yeah, it is kind of funny that I'm like trying to force more people into my life when I'm already saturated with names and people. So, um... Let's say like a uh, uh, like year or two like pass by and you do you do you recognize your students at all like your favorite student? Would you, would you recognize oh, your yeah. favorite student like like in like five years? Yeah, I've actually had a couple on the podcast. <laughs> believe it or not. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, they reached out um to me um when they noticed this through Facebook and it was ten years ago, and yeah, I can't. You know, within a year, you can remember if you have 100 kids, I'm really good at, I can remember those 100 names. 
especially if I've worked with them, because I, I get very personal. I try to get very specific to you instruction and feedback on your reading and your writing. So if like your thought technique, if we're debating a character's motivation and you're presenting an argument, I don't tell yeah. you your argument's wrong. I might though try to critique how you're arguing to help you understand it's not the strongest argument. So to do that, I can't just tell you that shit and not know you. Do you know what I'm saying? So you really have to develop a relationship because kids can get a little vulnerable because if you embarrass a kid, they're never going to talk again in class. They'll just shut down. They'll hate you. So because I try to teach from that lens, from that perspective, I, I tend to have a lot of like personal connections, personal stories with those kids. Almost like if you're listening to music and you experience something, when you go back to that experience, the music right. comes so back you in your head. So, yeah. you know, you're like, whatever you go through, you're driving by somewhere and a kid was telling you about they have llamas. And every time you see a llama, you remember all the fucking llama kids. You know, like weird things like that, where you're like, oh shit, that dude, we played Madden and we, you earned a Madden tournament where I had to buy you pizza. So like every time I play Madden, I think of these six yeah. kids, like weird shit like that is how I remember them. But 50, I'm 15 years in now, man. And um, it's harder to keep the kids that are more on the periphery. Because with 100, maybe mm. you're tight with like 20. Maybe you're tight with like five or seven per class. And some kids but, are just kind of in there. Do, um, do, you, what, do you teach like English? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, well, right now, I'm a reading specialist. So I go um, sixth, seventh, okay. eighth grade, reading and writing. I got an English teacher vibe. The <laughs> English teachers are always like the cool – the male English teachers, in my opinion, in high school were like, like, like the cool teachers. You <laughs> – <laughs> the male ones, not always the, the female. Oh yeah, they just females. I, why? Be gender biased. Uh, <laughs> I, um. So I, the like high school. You know, even elementary. One of the things I've noticed about like um like teachers, um, I don't know if it's the same thing as uh, like for your your uh, school, but um. All the teachers, like, they kind of, like, talk to each other, and they, I feel like they make, like, a unified judgment of, like, like students. 100%. 100%. I'm not one of them, but I hate them. <laughs> yeah, because They I, bias I each other, dude. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, I don't mean yeah. to cut you off, because I've been talking like oh, shit no something already. But uh, uh, my experience, the best advice I ever got was, like, stay out of the teacher's lounge. Yeah, Because yeah. they go in there, dude, and if, even if a kid's going to be in there for, like, three or four years in high school, three years in middle school... The sixth grade teacher will be like, oh, he's such a problem. Oh, this child, you don't want to. And you're like, why are you bringing that bias? Maybe the kid just doesn't vibe with you. But now if I take that perspective and I see that kid through your lens, I'm starting in a bad spot with the kid. And now I'm looking, yeah. right? It's almost like confirmation bias. Now you act out once in class. I'm bringing all your act outs from the other class into my class. And it's like you've acted out 12 times. I knew you were like this. And it's like, wait, it's my yeah. first time. You know, you know, I'm so I'm so glad to hear this from you because I've always thought of I always thought this. Yeah. So when I was in grade nine, so I love English, but English literature and all that, like that, that was probably one of my, my favorite like classes. So I always I always had opinions, even if I didn't write the best essay, right. I had opinions. I'm always raising my hand. So this new um, teacher came in, 
And, you know, she was, like, young. She was pretty, like, whatever, whatever. And I was just like, oh, man, this is great. So I'm always asking questions, and she really loved me. <laughs> she she really loved me for the first, like, semester. I mean, the first, like, week or so. And then, like, the next, like, few, the, pretty much the rest of the year, like, she, like, came to me at one point, and she was like, hey, David, I heard you're a bad kid. <laughs> and then that's how this class started. And I was <laughs> like, what? Where is this coming from? I thought you liked me. <laughs> And then I and then I thought about it. I was like, wow, they must, there must be like teachers, like talking shit about me in the teachers' lounge. Dude, so like since yeah, since grade nine, I always just thought like, man, I must have a terrible reputation because a lot of these teachers don't like me. Here, and then that that was like a the dirtier yeah, anyway, secret is it's not just in the teachers' lounge; it's at happy hour also, which drives me fucking oh, nuts. Right. Like you got to drink, you're like, dude, why are we still talking about fucking these people? Like they're even though they're in your life, but you're talking about it like we have other circles. We should have other interests. I guess you want to talk about, shouldn't we be more talking about like our boss or a principal more so than like kid slander? But that can get, it, it's weird, man. I don't know if teachers get jaded, but it's weird to me. It's always been weird. It's like, you don't expect kids to act like kids. You don't expect water to be wet. Like kids should be stupid. They should do dumb shit. That's why they're kids. Yeah. Embrace that. You know what, like, just on that, I don't want to, like, stay too long on this teacher subject, because I know you're, you're a professional teacher, so I don't want to scare you shit. Oh, dude, I don't care. So, I, if, if, dude, if people get offended by that, to me, it's like, if you can identify with that and you're offended by that, then you should change. Because if you're not offended by it, you're not doing that, you have no reason to be offended. You know, I mean, you do get yeah. both, but there definitely is a population within schools, the three that I've been a part of, where that shit is very real, man. I, like I don't vibe with it. I don't like it at all. I, I get away from yeah. those people. And I and I think it's because it's that is where that bias for me with the male English teachers <laughs> I come from, where I like them. So my grade ten English teacher, I got pretty much I got kicked out of his class right away too, <laughs> because we were doing Shakespeare and like I was calling like these girls like wenches in my in my class. And I, and, I, and I'm like a grade ten teenager. I did it because I liked them. You know, I'm trying to get their attention, so I'm calling them wenches or whatever. And then he he sent me to the principal's office, and eventually I had to like switch like classes. It was kind of crazy. And he he was like, you know, I'm gonna say his name was Mr. Hill. Mr. Hill. I don't know if anybody ever listens to this. He was also the English teacher. And in grade 12, I was getting into a lot of trouble. I, I was a good student too. Like that's just so ironic. Like I, I think I got good grades, but all these teachers fucking hated me. And one of the dilemmas was um, for graduation, um, the principal threatened me that they're not, they weren't going to let my parents from Korea to like come, come see my graduation. And I was like, what? What's going on? You guys can't do that. Like, but anyway, like during that time, Mr. Hill came to me and said, hey, I know you got it hard. Just keep your head up. So just in the fucking hallway, he came to me because I was just like so down on myself. He came to me in the hallway and he said, Keep your head up. I know you got it hard. Just keep your head up. It's, it will pass. And then he walked away. And I was like, wow, Mr. Hill, I, I didn't even know if you remember me. Right. I was just in, just in your class for like that one like beginning of the year. And then I got kicked out. So like, um, I just appreciate it. And then that too also kind of made me feel like these fuckers are talking about me. <laughs> like They have to be talking about me. Like, what, what's going on? Is Mr. Hill just like hearing this shit? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I don't know. Dude, what were you but, doing? So if you're getting good grades, what kind of trouble are you causing? Are you just like the smart aleck comment always? Oh, uh, I was a class clown. I, I love talking shit. Um, 
Um, so, yeah, no, I, I just, like, love, like, talking and, yeah, it was just a class comp. But the thing is, like, as I got older, like, in grade 12, my senior year, I, I really didn't, like, I mean, I guess I still, like, talked a lot of shit, but, like, I really, like, toned it down, like, because um, I knew teachers didn't like me, and I just knew, like, I just needed to graduate, so I, I, I kind of just did what they told me to do, but it was just, like, too late at that point. Yeah, that's um, tough, man, because if you have personality, a lot of time the class clowns are just thinking about shit, they're expressing it in a way that is a little disruptive to the flow that the teacher wants the class to have. Right. But you're engaged in order to clown as if you're clowning on content. Now, if you're just clowning on people, that that kind of sucks. Right. The whole verbal bullying. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like I was friends with everybody. Like I, right. um, I, w I went to a really small high school. So our entire grade was 100 kids. Oh, wow. So we got along with everyone. I mean, you yeah. had to. Or, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's just it's, yeah, you're going to have a hard like social life. You're kind of like gaming with everyone. It's just 100 kids, you know. No doubt. So, like, so were you just so cracking we, jokes on what was being taught? You just always had a thought of yeah. anything to say? Yeah. So, like, for instance, I, for geography class, like, he's another teacher that kind of, like, uh, yeah, yeah, he, he sent me to the principal's office quite often, too. Um, but... <laughs> He always, like, uh, he always had, like, chats with me afterwards, like, after school, you know, which I appreciated. So it wasn't just, like, you'll go to the principal's office and then he's done his job and he's going to fucking go home. So he actually, like, waited in in his classroom for me to come back and then we, like, talked about, like, why I got, like, sent. And in it, he, he taught geography. And, um, like, I love Star Wars. So, like, I would always talk about Star Wars, like, wherever he talked about geography. So if you talk about the desert, I'll be like, Oh, so it's it's hot like the deserts of Tatooine or something like that, and the kids will laugh, and they'll be like, "Yo, where the sad people at?" And then you know, like I'll just, and then you know, I'm just making people laugh and shit, whatever. And she would like, you know, sometimes she'll laugh too, but then sometimes she'll be like, "Oh man, you gotta send this shit to the principal's office," and then he'll send me over. Um, but yeah, no, I I did have like one like the Spanish teacher, I did bully her because she was just so. She was just so, like, I don't know. She was just so slow. <laughs> she was such a nice person. She was so, like, dumb nice. Like, it was so easy to, like, kind of, like, trick her. Like, uh, for instance, like, I make, like, bird calls. And she would think there's a bird in the, in the, in the classroom. <laughs> Stop, and, dude. And it's just funny, right? <laughs> when she like, turned around I'll, I'll make a really realistic bird call like I, honestly I don't think it was even that realistic but she really thought it was like a bird in the classroom and can she would freak out like she'll be freaking out dude can and I hear it laughing. can you still do it I mean like honestly it would just say ah ah <laughs> like, it was kind of like that it was a really shitty bird call uh, it was it's obviously coming from me in the classroom but um <laughs> But, you know, uh, maybe she was just being naive, but eventually, like, she got, like, people were, like, I guess, like, the kids kind of ratted me out, too. I don't know how she, like, found that. I don't know. But, like, she would send me to the principal's office for doing it. Um, she was also a terrible Spanish teacher. She was actually really bad. <laughs> like, she obviously had no idea what she was doing. <laughs> like, I don't know. From, like knowledge of spanish or knowledge of how to get kids to get into spanish well i think both because she had no control of the 
the classroom. Yeah. And also she really had no knowledge because I remember when she had to um, go on leave for something and we had a substitute teacher and our class loved her. Like we fucking loved her. And that was the only moment in Span- in that Spanish class that year that I actually learned. And, and she was so dope. Like she, she like really knew how to like relate to us. She was playing like hip hop music and we're just like, Oh shit, you missed whatever, whatever. I can't even remember her name. Like you listen to that. And then she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, like, we'll, like, talk, you know? Like, she would, she would engage with all of us. And, like, and, and legit, we would actually learn Spanish. And then when the other teacher came in, like, we're just, like, making bird noises. And, like, just, I don't know. Dude, that's rough. But, that, that's rough but, when a sub comes in and, like, levels up. That doesn't yeah. matter job. Like, dude, that's yeah. rough for the teacher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, I mean, I think that was the only teacher I, I actually, like, kind of feel bad, like, bullying. But I never, I don't think I ever, like, bullied any other, like, high school teacher. I don't even know if that's bullying, yeah. man. That it's To me, like, it's just fucking with. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, it's just disrupting. Where I think, I think there is a certain expectation of accountability for a teacher to be able to control and manage a classroom. I don't think that's unreasonable. I think kids are going to constantly push their boundaries and I've seen it with coaches too. And I'm not like some ultimate coach, but I'm a middle school basketball coach and I've gone to other practices, seen other things. And like kids respond to parameters pretty well, fair expectation and consequences and understanding from a cared place. Like they respond to that really well. But at the same time, if you don't give them that shit, they're going to be kids and they're self-absorbed. They're narcissistic. They want attention and relationships. They want to see where they fit in. And that's their main goal, not to mention hormones. When we throw that in there, right? Yeah. Like they, it, they have no business learning <laughs> at that stage of their life. So, you so gotta, how do you do that? It, it, in a classroom or as a coaching thing? Um, I guess both. But I'm more interested in like the coaching thing. I love basketball, by the way. So, oh, okay. that's, um, yeah. um, so me, I always – I talk as little as I can and I value reps – as much as I can. And I use a clock. So for me, it starts with, I have a two hour practice. We're not going to do anything for more than 12 minutes straight. And the entire time, like if we do a jump rope, for instance, if we do a jump rope routine, it's a three minute routine that we're changing something every 20 seconds. And I'm going to show it to you once. And then the next day you need to follow along. And when you mess up, if you quit during that 20 seconds, you then have something else you got to do. I'm not saying you have to jump each thing, two feet for 20 seconds, alternate 20 seconds, left foot for 20 seconds, right foot for 20 seconds, scissors for 20, right? You get the idea. Mm-hmm. So if you can't do the scissors, I'm not telling you, you got to do 20 scissors in 20 seconds. What I'm not going to see is your jump rope not going and your feet not going. Cause if that's the essence, okay, now when we get into shooting drills, you didn't give me effort in jump roping, go ahead and jump rope without a jump rope. So now we got five minutes of shooting drills. Oh, I'm sorry. You didn't want to try in the jump rope. Why would you be able to try in shooting? Do you know what I'm saying? And the shooting drills are the same thing. And the other thing we do is everything's a competition. Everything's a game. So I'll put you at a basket with two of your friends. You're taking shots from the elbows, 15 feet, and you alternate. So for one minute, left elbow, right elbow, 15 feet, know your score. Boom, go, buzzer goes. And now next guy up in three minute cycle, one rebounder, one passer, one shooter. Who's got the high score? Winners over here. Let's clap it up. Losers drop. Give me five. Y'all suck today. Get better. 
<laughs> don't yeah, you don't yeah. want to be a loser? That sucks. Oh, we tied. Oh, so then both of you are losers because you didn't win? Drop. And you do stupid shit like that. You know, so everything's mm-hmm. a game, everything's a competition. And it's not me talking, it's more the kids doing. And while they're doing, they have to do certain things that they're learning while doing, not Hey guys, me talk to you for 15 minutes. Now you get three minutes to try it and I stop you every 10 seconds to like yeah. correct. It's you're in the flow and it's you're going to fuck up. That's cool, but you're not going to stop. You're going to try harder the next time and you're hopefully not going to screw up as much next time. Got it. What about, uh, for, how does that differ from um, the classroom, the like controlling of classroom? It's, t- it's twofold. Wow, this is interesting. Now you're going to interview me on my podcast. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, no, um, man, I'm genuinely interested. No, right? Yeah. I actually wanted to be a teacher when I was a kid, too. So it's, Funny enough, like I, I, I was traumatized by high school teachers, but yeah. at the same time, I wanted to teach high school. Like teach, um, yeah. I wanted to teach high school. Probably because you want to make it better. You're like, dude, this sucks, did, and yeah. you don't want to give this sucky experience. Part of what... Dude, my high school, my teachers let me sleep and I feel like I had a shitload of untapped potential. And I was a bottom 25% graduate in my class. I think like there were 350, 400 people graduating. I ranked like 300th. You know, like I was so low, but because they would let me, no one, except for one or two teachers, no one ever, I felt like they didn't see the potential and they didn't reach out to me. I'm going through mm-hmm. shit. I want to come in and sleep. You're going to let me sleep in all your classes and I still get to pass? What the fuck is that about? Like that, I'm, I'm not about that shit. So it almost worked for me that same way where like the experience to me wasn't as good as it should have been. And I don't know why it was in me, but it was in me to then try to not have other kids have that experience, fall through the cracks. Nice. Um, but in a classroom, it's a little different because basketball, I'm not telling you you have to play basketball. You're telling me you want to play basketball. So I have the ultimate power. I have the power of playing time over you, and I have the power of goodbye. In a classroom, you're my student. If, I, if you hate me, I'm with you for 180 days, an hour a day, and what the fuck am I going to do? Kick you out every day? Like that, uh, All that's going to do is give me gray hair, and it's just going to lead to a bunch of tension. So the, mm-hmm. the dynamics a little different in that sense. So what you really have to do is honestly reason and level with kids. It's all about one-on-one talks. It's not about being an alpha. It's about being a servant. So your goal, you want to crack jokes, man. Dude, that's awesome. Hey, when you write that essay, can you put 10 of those jokes in there? I want to see 10 Star Wars references. But what I want you to do is here are three of these poetic terms. Try to do it. All you do is make metaphors, man. Have you ever thought about personifying? Why don't you make a deeper mm-hmm. analogy, dude? Can, can I get three sentences where the setting, you involve sensory language in describing what the sand is? And how about you contrast it to what the sand in the desert's like in this setting? And then you're like, what? I'm like, yeah, dude, you're fucking into it. Use it. Let me help you use your skill to meet these standards because you're gifted. And that's, that's the difference. It's always blowing up kids with everything they're great at. And then it's like channeling water. You know, let me take your energy, your momentum, and your focus and use it. Oh, dude, you hate talking? All right, man, I'm not going to make you do speeches. That's stupid. Can you at least write for me? I, I got to know you know this stuff. Can you at least write it down mm-hmm. for me? Well, I suck at spelling. Cool, I do too. I don't care about your spelling. Give me your ideas. Yeah. You know, like stuff like that has to happen. And then you got to make it engaging. So when I teach, I also try to make it gamey 
and I try to show kids they're getting better. Because what do you do? You do stuff you're good at. So if you suck at reading, but in two weeks I can show you you've gotten better, what are you going to start doing? More of. Yeah, Because you're going to be. try to be better because now you feel, oh shit, what I did worked. And that, that it snowballs, man. Same thing with writing. Same thing with debates. Same thing with comments. You know, like all, all that stuff. So it's a little bit of a different dynamic because it's not as competitive. It's more nurturing. But it's all individualistic. Yeah. I can't expect you to care about my content. I got to present my content in a way to make you care. And I think that's what fucks teachers up. Respect the scarlet letter. Like, dude, I'm yeah, 13. Yeah. I don't care. What, what are you talking about? But if you can consider who I am as a student and present it to me in a way that I might find interesting, who would be who would be the wench? Or who would be the whore in Star Wars? Was Princess Leia a whore? And all of a sudden you're like, what? And you're like, yeah, dude, we're going to do a discussion board on that. 10 minutes. Shut up and type all the things you want to say. Put them out here and we're going to comment on them. Prove to me that she was or was not. Go. Yeah. Do you know? It's like, a hard job, man. It's a fucking hard job. It, you make it sound easy, right? But like, I can't even imagine you have like, fucking, I don't know, like, like 30 kids yeah. in your classroom and then every year is changing. So every yeah. year it's like a new child that you're gonna have to like like learn yes and 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 i guess it's also not even just like one class you're having multiple classes with all these like like kids every year yeah it can it can depend um for me i like that um for some teachers they don't i i hated some the current model if you're like a sixth grade english teacher you teach the same lesson four times a day which to me always explained why maybe engagement wasn't the biggest thing because they're just like, I got to teach this for, this is what I do. I do this thing four times a day. Mm -hmm. But if you switched it up, which I always strive to in my job, like I never wanted to do the same lesson four times a day. Cause I'm like, dude, I'd be bored by the fourth time. So what's the fourth class going to get? Right. I'm going to take my first three experiences and put that on almost like what you're saying about teachers talking. If you've done the lesson and you're like, Oh, I know what they're going to laugh at now. I know what they're going to comment on this. So it's not as fresh, not as organic, you know? So I think that can hurt teachers when they just teach the same content all day because it's a script. Yeah. So you don't, you, you're almost trying to not get bored with your like job, your daily routine. hundred percent, dude. Dude, there are some teachers that for 20 years, they've done the same lesson the first day of school every day and the hundredth day of school every day. How, like, yeah. why would it be interesting? You're not interested in it. So why would the kids be? You have no passion so, about it. So why would the kids have passion? So you've been doing it for 25 years. Um, 15. You're still going strong. Or oh, 15 years. 15. But you're still going strong. You don't, you don't. Um, you have to tell. I guess you'd have to ask some of the kids. <laughs> I mean, I mean like, like for you personally, like you still have the passion. Like you have the fire in you to I, keep like going. I love it, dude. It's a, it's, yeah. it's such a great job. COVID really has sucked ass with it. Um, but I, there's nothing better. The fact that I have. The fact that I'm able to be middle to upper middle class because I have graduate degrees and what do I do all day? I'm a glorified babysitter where if kids can go home <laughs> and so honestly, right? Kids can, I get, your kid comes into my class. You might not even know me. They get home to you safely. It's so true. Oh my God. Right? It's so true. Like <laughs> it, it's glorified daycare. But if you take the opportunity I'm helping kids discover who they are, feel better about themselves, yeah. 
what better fucking way to make a living, man? Like, they're, they're, it, I, like I don't have to die because you can't tell me the three minor conflicts between the houses of the Capulets and whoever the other family was in Romeo and Juliet, right? Like, like I, that doesn't matter to me, but did you enjoy the book? Did you have a fun experience, man? Do you want to come back tomorrow and see what the fuck we get into? Yeah, I did my job, right? Like, yeah. and that to me is a, is a little bit of a prism shift. I don't know why that's my perspective, but I found, and it's not like my kids just get A's. I've, I've had really good standardized results. Part of why I got this job as a reading specialist, because I'm really good at pinpointing deficiencies and turning them into strengths. Because if you know you're a great writer and you have great voice, but your sentence structure is shit, and the reason you keep getting 80s is because you use the same exact type of sentence every paragraph, and I let you know that, what's the one thing you're going to work on for the next essay? You're going to, dude, can you give me three long sentences and then two tiny sentences? And then I want one one word sentence. Well, what do you mean? Exactly that, dude. Do that. <laughs> and then your writing will be better. So like when, and that's a lot with basketball too. So what is the one thing you got to work on? Tell a person and typically they want to get better. You know, mm -hmm. so you get the results, but it all comes from enjoyment and engagement. Because if you're not engaged, I can be talking to you. You're like, yeah, one word, all right, yeah, Sam's got you, whatever. I'm going to pass anyway, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I, I've, I don't know why. I don't know if that'll ever get out of me. But just like me playing with my daughter's kids at the water park today, I love that shit. Like you're taking yeah. three, you're taking three kids to the water park by yourself. Why the fuck not, man? Like that's fun. <laughs> that's... Yeah, I mean that sounds fun. Honestly, I love kids. Yeah, right. And, and I, it's one of the things too. That's um, so I, I remember when I was my dad loves. I he's always been good with kids too. And I remember when I was growing up in the in the states, I was in the playground with like my friends, and my dad was like looking after me. And my dad's like the most harmless dude in the world. He's like this like nerdy like scholar dude. He taught like like you know he teaches at university and shit like whatever. And he he went up to like you know me and like the other kids and he was like hello kids <laughs> you know like a goofy like it's a goofy old man thing right yeah dad and move one of like yeah like a dad a like complete dad move and my one of my friends mom got so scared <laughs> she took her daughter away and she left the park. And my dad was really scarred. Like, he was like, wow, I guess I can't do that anymore. And then I think that kind of stuck with me. That whole memory, like, kind of traumatized me. And even for now, like, my, my, like, a bunch of my friends, they have kids and, like, whatever. And the other day, too, like, I was out with my friend uh, with his kid who's, like, one years old or, like, 1.5 years old. We're at, like, a kid's park. And, you know, I'm just, like, playing with him. And... Every time I, like, hold him, I'm, like, 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 you know, like, maybe spinning him around, whatever, I feel really, like, self-conscious, because I'm, like, are these women going to judge me? <laughs> like, it's not even my kid, it's, like, a white kid, this Asian fucking who's, like, holding this white kid and spinning him around, are they going to call the cops on me? And I just, like, abuse. Down, like, go back here, dad, go back here, dad. <laughs> you start <laughs> seeing everyone with their phones up, and you're, like, fuck, yeah. man, here's another profile. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so, like, I don't know. Um, I do like kids, but, like, I, I feel like it's one of those, like, things that, like, as a guy, I'm always trying to watch out. Even at, like, my friend's wedding in Arizona, uh, like, I was dancing. I love, like, weddings. You know, it's happy time, right? So I'm dancing in the dance floor, and these little, uh, like, girls came over, like, to dance with me. So, like, you know, I was dancing with them, and, like, and at the same time, I'm just like, oh, I can't be dancing with little girls at a wedding. 
it's cute. Like in my head, it's like it's like a sweet moment because you know, yeah, they're like little girls, they're like five year old girls, and they, you know, I just want to show them like, oh yeah, it's okay to come dance, you know, whatever, yeah, have a good time dancing with them. But at the same time, I'm I'm looking at their parents. I'm like, okay, I think this is enough. And yeah, especially if you don't know. Like, no, I don't know them at all. Yeah, like, right. I, I yeah. Yeah. I just came to the wedding as like my friends, like no the groom's like friend, and dad's, I don't know anyone there in Arizona. <laughs> dad's like three Jack and Cokes deep. Mom's like eight champagnes in, and all of a sudden they yeah. think you like brush their daughter's ponytail, and it's a fucking yeah. thing. And you're like, oh my no, dude, no. She asked me to twirl her, and you're like, you know, like shit like that can happen. It's sad. Oh, why, yeah. why? Why do you think that negativity creeps in? to mindsets i think it's because of like i mean it has to be just like generalization like stereotypes in general right and it's usually just creepy fucking dudes and because of creepy dudes like all guys now have to like you know all men have to like kind of act accordingly like i mean that's what i think but i thought about this i thought about this why why do i have to watch myself i'm not i'm I'm genuinely like i love kids i'm never gonna hurt these kids but I think, like, for a mom, I think it's also because, like, when I, like, talk to my friend and his wife, I realize, oh, okay, it's their first kid, and I could, they're so protective. Yeah. I mean, you have to, you have a kid yourself, right? Yeah. So, like, no, well, I wasn't you, as like, protective, but, no, yeah, the right. the first kid, uh, dude, I'm hands-off till, like, year four. So they can walk and use the toilet. They'd be like, oh, hold my baby. I'm like, oh, this is your first child? It's two months old? Nope. Nope. I'm not trying <laughs> yeah. to, I'm not trying to have that baby be sick in three hours. All of a sudden you're going to blame me for the rest of my life. Yeah. That like I gave yeah. the, I gave COVID or this flu to your child, man. Like, nope, not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Dude, first, first time by the third kid, you can do whatever you want with them. It's awesome. Got it. Yeah. 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 That's what I realized. Like my, um, cause I, my, my, like we're like best friends and we're all like, we grew up in the same neighborhood and everything. And she had her first kid and, I was like, yo, Karen, like, what are you, why are you, why are you doing this? Like, I was like, oh, it's my first kid, David. Like, just give me a break. Yeah. I'm going to be super protective. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's, no, that, that actually just makes so much sense. I just didn't think of it that way. Yeah, dude, I thought it was just like a baby. I thought it was around the baby, dude. Yeah, right. It's the first kid. It makes sense. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Yeah, it's, the, fir- so it's the first kid you've had. But for the human species, we're at like 28 trillion and these motherfuckers used to be like chimps and they, they survive through dinosaurs. I'm pretty sure your kid can survive with me in a swing. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I don't want to like – I know, not like shit on people. But at the same yeah. time, the perspective, when you look at it, it's like, dude, the babies are meant, so, they, we're meant yeah, to survive. It's so minuscule, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is she's saying this while her kid's eating fucking sand. In the sand pit, right? Like, like the kid is literally putting sand in his in his mouth, and I'm like, okay, first of all, that's gonna be the healthiest kid that I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> his antibodies are like, it's so jacked. Like, like, I don't, I don't think you need to worry that much. <laughs> and then she's like, but, uh, no, David, you know what? We're actually an anti-vaxing family, so we have him eat all the soil everywhere he goes. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, dude parenting so you don't have any kids huh no no but uh and i never really cared for it but like i do like kids because I, I i grew up babysitting my little like cousins and stuff so um it's that's another reason why i find it really hard because i always grew up with like my aunts 
trusted me to take care of their like my kids. So when when it became a thing where I'm in public and I'm like engaging other like kids and stuff, like I, I would just go, oh, I can't do this anymore. But um, uh, I do like kids a lot. And then when I see my friends' kids and stuff, I actually do like, wow, I wouldn't mind having a kid. But I don't even have a girlfriend right now. I'm not even dating. So like, yeah, that's like another barrier I have to go overcome for now. I think. It, it, I wonder if, like, I've always wondered this. I, I've I've seen a lot of dudes when they hit an age, they do the dog thing, right? Like they get the puppy or they have mm-hmm. the dog in order to like almost learn how to take care of something if they haven't. But I have yeah. not seen the single dude that's like, you know what, man? I'll have a girlfriend. Fuck it. I'm going to adopt. There's a ton of kids out there. Like no <laughs> one does that shit. And that's another thing where I just kind of wonder, why does it not happen? You want me to do it? I'm a yes man. Remember? <laughs> How awesome would that be? So instead of your kickstart being two grand, start another kickstart for like the adoption fees. And if you get whatever, the 10 grand, go get like a little Russian baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I want like, yeah, I got to be strategic about the baby. I got to put it, I, the inve- amount of time and investment I put into the baby, that baby got to get something back from me. <laughs> uh, I'm just joking. Uh, yeah, no, I, mean, I haven't. Honestly, it's something I, I think about, too, because like, I'm pretty bad like with relationships. It's always been pretty bad like throughout my life. And um, sometimes I think about, man, maybe uh, I do I do like kids. Like, maybe I need to fucking adopt a child like, when I'm 40 or something and have a better job and like, have a good income or something like that. <laughs> maybe have some benefits. It, it, yeah. it, it is weird because that's actually now that I'm, I hadn't really thought about it too seriously or too much. But like I don't even know many single – people and you wonder like i can't remember if this was on the bachelor some kind of conversation was going on in the background where i heard this oh it was this dude wrote into a podcast and was like i'm 43 i'd really like to have kids and blah 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 talks about like maybe getting with this girl and it's like wait so you're gonna get with a girl just for the fact of having kids like aren't you kind of limp or mitigating the relationship with the mother <laughs> just to right, get the yeah. kid the whole point should be you're with this person and then you have a kid together but my my thought when i heard that was like why not just adopt dude if you want the yeah, kid so bad point, just adopt, right? you know like, especially if you're upper class or middle class like you can pay for daycare like you have benefits you have a career the country's going towards like paid paternity leave where both sexes get the time off um like why I'm wondering if that's going to be like a wave coming up where more single people are like, you know what? Fuck it, man. I haven't found the person I want to have kids with, but I know I want kids. Let me just go adopt a child if they're out there. Yeah, that should be a thing, right? Like I've, I've always wondered that like, cause even like when couples get together and they, they want to have a child, like it's kind of fucking selfish. It's like, yo, there's so many children out there that need to be like that need families i get like it's like it's part of like like evolution that we want to like you your know, genes we want our own yeah like offspring with our own genes but um there's so many like, like kids out there that need need a home um start the trend I'm, I'm, start the yeah, trend i'm gonna adopt get the kids gonna adopt i'm gonna adopt man i'm gonna do it you planted, you incepted an idea in my head, which is which has been already an idea I've always thought about. Right. Um, if if 
like, yeah, I'm gonna, um, if I get, if I'm in a position to do it, like, if I'm more affluent, because I'm not, like, in any position right now, but if I am, like, fuck, I, I should. It's yeah. weird, and I have not looked into it, but I've always heard ten to fifteen thousand dollars, and it's like, does that just prove to you, whoever's has this child that needs a family, that I'm serious? Because like, if I only had two grand to give you, I wouldn't be as serious for the kid. But I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, dude, that thirteen grand, you put that shit in like a four or a five twenty nine college fund instead of giving it mm-hmm. to an adoption agency. I put it in a trust for the child. When the child turns 18, they're going to have so much a better advantage than like 80% of the world. How come that yeah. isn't the system? Why does the system seem so like expensive? I get vetting. You should be vetted, right? Like I want a background check. I want maybe a psyche eval. I want to see your oh, house. Oh, for sure. Stuff like that. Yeah. But the cost, I feel like the government, especially in America, like that should just be absolved. Almost like Medicaid for all social – like it, it should just be one of those, hey, if you're sincere about having this kid – shouldn't cost you a fucking whatever a couple months salary yeah but i mean i think it makes sense if it was like if you had the option to put it in to to invest it into the um, the child's like future that'd be great right that, instead of yeah, doing 15 grand to the agency hey i'll give you the 15 but it goes in a, a irrevocable trust for the kid so that when yeah. they turn 18 whatever interest is accrued they get to use it for college or a trade school or buy a home whatever you know yeah, that actually makes a lot more sense. Do they? Is that how they make money? I guess like the agency, like the adoption. Yeah, I feel like the agency should just be supported by the government, just like fucking schools are. Yeah, that's true too. Why are they private like adoption yeah. agencies? Reading babies for their batteries on the Matrix. You know what? You're gonna adopt a baby. I'm gonna run for office, and we're both gonna change several worlds. That's what we're <laughs> yeah, gonna do. <that's> <laughs> Uh, do you watch like NBA and stuff? I do. I um, I mean, it's not on currently, but yeah. Actually, a guy yeah. from uh, Delaware, um, Bones, got drafted in the first round by the Nuggets. So he's our second first round pick. Dante DiVincenzo is from Delaware as well. He played oh, on the Bucks. I love, yeah, I love Dante. Di- yeah, DiVincenzo is fucking, he's sick, man. Yeah. He was out this, he got hurt right before the playoffs, but he would have, like, he would have shined. You know, he won two state championships in Delaware, went to Villanova. Won two NCAA titles in three years, then went wow, to the no, Bucks no and won a fucking championship like three years into his career. Think about that fucking guy, winner, just winning yeah. on winning. I, I, I've always liked him. When I when I saw him play, I was like, oh, this kid's fucking good. Um, but yeah, in the playoffs, um, he he was injured. But I mean, man, that that was a crazy playoff. The the Bucks, big surprise, big surprise for me. Yeah, I, I love Giannis. Giannis, the fact that Giannis... So, being from Delaware, I get a lot of Ben Simmons talk. <laughs> and Ben Simmons completely punked out. Like, just men- mentally would not shoot. And Bede called him out. And there's some serious... What, what's coming out is Simmons is so into his appearance. And I've seen this with players that, I, that I've that yeah, coached in middle school. Where you're so into looking cool, you won't go in a difficult position. You won't do grimy shit if you think you have a chance to lose or like you're going to get upstaged. Now, Giannis yeah. is the complete opposite. Giannis is like, I airball. I take 30 seconds to shoot a free throw. Fuck y'all make fun of me. I grew up, <laughs> yeah. you know, he grew up like homeless in Greece. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. He was like begging for food. He's like, I'm a fucking millionaire in America. My brothers, my entire family's taken care of. Like, you think I care about you clowning me because I make 58% of my free throws? Fuck you. And he just plays hard. Right? And like, that's the kind of dude, that, that story, I hope more kids get a hold of. And I hope they hear about Ben Simmons just being in his own head, not wanting to do things to win. Because you're, you're costing your team a chance to win because you're worried about perception. Yeah, like about that, like um, NBA players trying to look a certain way. I, I totally agree because like, when I see like guys like um, Kyle Kuzma, who had a really good rookie like yeah. season, and then as like Kardashians, man, he fucking yeah, got into like, a Kardashian and anybody who's gotten into a Kardashian, it's done. Yeah, and, like, his Instagram posts all started, like, being, like, cloud-chasing, like, like, him dressed up as, like, whatever. I'm like, yo, you can get all of that if you play better basketball, you know? 100%. You're going to get, like, million dollars, like, $20 million per year, like, contract if you just focus on no basketball. Doubt. Because you're, you, have a, you have a good set of skills, yeah. but you're just getting worse gradually from yeah, rookie year. So that makes no sense. You're the one fucking person uh, LeBron capped. He kept you yeah, over Ingram right? yeah, and Lonzo and all these players, man. Like, you were the fucking one. And yeah. instead, you're like, cool, let me dye my hair blonde. Yeah. Let me go fly around, like, with my model, like, girlfriend. Yeah, and, like, Dude, that was the same thing. Simmons, uh, I don't follow Ben Simmons on Instagram, but on the, uh, just, again, listening to NBA people talk, they said one of his first Instagram posts after the playoffs was, like, him opening the door to a Ferrari that he was about to take out. Like, why are you posting that shit, man? Like, that that should not be, especially the way you went out. I want every video you hooping five on five, you doing drills, you just yeah. bucket after bucket after bucket after bucket. Fucking, I, I want you on beaches, running up hills, drenched in sweat with some dope ass music. Like, that's what yeah. I want. And yeah, they get yeah, lost. I agree, man. It's funny how they get lost, dude. I wonder why. I feel like, because I've heard like a typical NBA dad. So if you're if your job is to play basketball, get up shots with the personal trainer for what two hours, maybe two and a half, then you lift hour and a half, massage, stretch, hour. Is that even a seven hour workday yet? No. So like, what the fuck else? What else? What else, man? That's why Kobe Bryant was nuts because he treated the NBA like he was working fucking two jobs. And he'd have like an eight-hour shift and then a second shift. And it just it, – it took him to where it got him, man. LeBron's the same way. It's all yeah. work, all business. And these dudes that you get paid millions, man, you're not going to reinvest in your body. You're not going to double down on your craft knowing the return on investment with a second yeah. contract. Yeah, that's like what I like, – because I, I, I grew up watching the NBA. Like, it's my favorite sport. And and I, I feel like I, I've come to a point where I kind of understand understand how uh, a player like develops throughout their career right and you see these like like complete freak athlete like kids 19 year old kids coming in with like the best shape for the nba and you clearly know what you need to like work on it's yeah. so obvious like your manager should tell you oh okay you have the frame ready 
you're not, your dribble is it's not quite there yet. Your shot's not quite there yet. You don't have a fadeaway. There's all these like tool sets that you need to get done to become like a complete basketball player. Yeah. It's already, the blueprint is already out there. Yes. These kids are getting paid millions of fucking dollars. For years, dude. Yeah. And it's not like you get that contract for one day. month. It's like, dude, we're going to give you three to four years to develop. Exactly. And it's like, uh... Yeah, like, and I recently I kind of came to a point where like, oh, okay, for some of these kids, just making it to the NBA and getting a million dollar contract is all they want in their life. That they the just goal. made it. So if that's what it is, fuck it, that's fine. But fuck, what a disappointment. Because you could have made way more. You could have been like on your hundreds of million. Yeah. Well, but, even um, dude, fucking mid-level. Dude, mid-level people make $10 million a year. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like bottom of the bench dudes who practice hard and give their all make half a million. I think the league minimum is like 1.3 million. I mean, it's whatever with taxes, you're only clearing 400,000 a year. You're like, dude, that's still enough <laughs> when you got the keys to the gym and all the perks. So that again, I, I feel like I'm, I don't know. I, I, I might be talking too much, but whatever. I've actually uh, had um, a NBA trainer on the podcast. It was one of the fr- oh, wow. 20th episodes. So have you heard of pure sweat? No. So Drew Hanlon, I don't know how he got connected, what his like one dude was, but there's all these trainers on these local levels. And then if dudes make it, they get pulled up or they solicit. And then once you like, once you get a training session in with Kobe, then you can say that. And now you get like second tier guys, second squad guys, you know, bench unit guys. And then if they develop, you're golden, you get passed around. Right. So I've had two people on one who actually, um, Sarah, who's in Hawaii, she's an awesome follow on Instagram, dude. Um, Taki Fit. Kobe Bryant got up with her and brought his daughter, Jeej, before they passed away, out to wow. Sarah's gym to get trained. And Luke, with pure sweat, I believe has Langston Gallo. I might be fucking that up. It's been about a year. But what Luke was telling me and what Sarah were telling me was – when you get with someone who knows and they have a vision. So Kobe knew his daughter would be a point guard. So he saw Sarah's dribbling and hezzy and um, improv with a ball and was like, go show my daughter how to do that. I want her to be able to freestyle. Done. Yeah. Luke gets with this guy and this guy signs a two-year deal. I want to say it's with the Pistons. And he's a corner three. He was like a top five corner three per point shooter as far as percentage in the NBA. We shot like 48% from corner three. So wow. it's like, great. We nailed that because they went into the summer. The Pistons told the guy, your role is going to be D and corner three. So they spent all summer doing it. And then the dude fucking winds up making $5 million because Luke breaks down film and says, hey, man, you're getting these shots off of these actions. So you start in this spot. When this guard goes this way, so the guard drives left towards the baseline, you've got to learn how to relocate and float. You're going to come off of a hammer screen, so you got to make sure you're running left to right and going right to left. You can't just be a left to right guy. you got to be a hop catch. You can't be a step-step catch because now your pivots are all fucked up. Those little details, there are so many people out there doing it, and the teams fucking tell them. It's not like the dude's like, what are you going to do next year? I don't know. You have an exit meeting. These players yeah. <laughs> all get a purpose for going into the summer. This is our goal. This is our vision for you next year. 
And the fact that those motherfuckers don't double down on the time to do yeah. it, it amazes me, man. It's like, I guess you want to be a rapper. I guess you want to go buy cars. Yeah. That's fun. Can't, can't you put in six hours of work first and then go do yeah, all that shit? I feel like it's also the manager's fault, like, fault too. Like, why, why aren't you emphasizing this to your, like, client? Yeah. It should be like, you're going to make more money off it. Because you're a percentage, gonna... right? Yeah. Like, get this kid an amazing, like, world-class, like, like team. Yeah. Or even go like and go abroad too. Go go to the Euro League and like they have like I mean all these like um, NBA players they look down on it. The Euro League has like really good players, you know. These guys come in with like a really good like foundation. Hell yeah. Um, we just saw in the Olympics, man. In the Olympics, like the yeah, yeah. I exactly. saw a tweet about the Dream Team in '92. Like their average margin of victory was like 47 points, and we in America can't beat France. I think we won the gold by like five and they got Rudy Gobert who can't play in the NBA playoffs and they got Evan Fournier who just signed yeah. with the Knicks that did shit with the Celtics and was on a losing Orlando team and like yeah. then they got a couple other dudes Frankie 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 Smokes who's a guard on the Knicks who like might be in the league might not best thing is perimeter D and then a bunch of just professionals and they hung with like Kevin Durant Jason Tatum yeah. <laughs> Drew Holiday like Devin Booker Draymond, y'all weren't fucking blowing them out. They had the game yeah. to like three points. So like yeah, clearly, pretty, pretty that, yeah, clearly the competition is just shoo. The gap is narrowed. Where if you go overseas, you might dominate and you might be able to come back. But it's not like you're going against scrubs. Yeah, because I, I, um, I mean, I, I don't. It's the only like basketball like book I read. I. But, and also, it's because you know, I was in Toronto, and Toronto won the championship. So after he we won the championship, um, Nick Nurse, the head coach, obviously, you know, he monetized on that right away. Dude, he, he, he made a ball. brand. He has a logo. Yeah. He was fucking yeah. at concerts. I don't know if he yeah. put out an album, but I knew he fucking played guitar. I'm like, yeah. whoa, jump on it. Yeah. So I'm a sucker for that shit. So I was like, you know, I'm going to buy his book and read it. And he talks like uh, he talks very highly of uh, um, the Euroleague, like um, just like like player disciplines and everything. But also, he also talks about like the G League here um, or the D League. Um, I guess the D League turned into the G League, but yeah. uh, back then, like yeah. So he talks about that and how uh, how difficult it is, how how like insanely skilled even the G League players are. But um, because it's um, they get like signed. A lot of them just get signed, and the team just keeps switching. They keep changing the yeah. teams every single week, and there's like a, a difficulty within that. And um, like, who's like the? Um, is it Jalen Green that was in the G League for one year? Yeah. So Kaminga, Jalen Green went second to the Rockets. Kaminga yeah. went seventh to the Warriors. Right. But both of them but, were in the G League. Yeah. So when I was reading that, I was like, oh, that makes sense because, like, watch, look at, like, how, I mean, it's just a summer league, but, man, Jalen Green is killing it. Yeah. He's already played with some beasts and, like. Dude, he's played against grown men. Yeah, grown men. That's the difference. Like, Like, if if you've ever, if you've ever fucked around with, maybe fucked around is the wrong kind of word, but if you've ever had to, like, physically go against someone 18, 19, 20, and then you do the same thing, I'm sorry, like 17, 18, but then you go against dudes who are 21, 22, 
high school to college, just the physical mature strength, that grown man strength is so yeah. fucking real. Now imagine how strong you are at 28, 29 when you've been working yeah, out for exactly. six years. Yeah. And now you're an 18 year old going against that shit every day versus a bunch of three star recruits that are filling out the bench. Cause you're balling with the first five. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, I guess like the point was that uh, you, as a player, you always want to like, like go for that like challenge, like that big challenge that's going to make you like, like strong when you survive it. And, um, yeah, I'm always, like, I'm always like, like disappointed with certain like players, but then there's always these like really just, just class acts. And, um, it, and it's just great to watch their career. But I think I'm just also just getting old and <laughs> just getting critical, old, like, like overly critical about like watching the NBA. I should try, I should probably just quit because I'm just like a grumpy old man watching the NBA. But like, ah, this guy's not play hard enough. Right. He's getting paid millions. Not, what is he doing on Instagram? <laughs> There's a little bit of truth to that too. There's so much yeah. truth. Because I could say I'd be putting in eight-hour days. But I've never had someone open up a velvet rope to a strip club and just yeah, let me yeah. and just had the funds to just let loose and have every fantasy that I want come true. Like I've never had that. I've never been able to be like, you know what? I, I've had the ability to get Ubers. I've never had the ability to just book a plane on the fly to be like, fuck, yeah. man, there's a party in Paris. Let me yeah, go. Yeah, like James Harden gets knocked out from the – Playoff goes to Paris to see to party with the baby. Yes. What are you doing, James Harden? You just—it's so embarrassing what what happened to you guys. No, you it's guys not. Like, it, it's not embarrassing to him. Not embarrassing to him. Apparently not. Like I thought, it was the most embarrassing thing. I legit thought they were going to win the championship. Yeah. How do you beat those three guys? Like, well, oh my well, god. Well, the two of them, right? Well, but like, dude, it oh, was. Yeah, yeah, the two of them. It was half an inch from. I mean, what do they say? If Kevin Durant was a size fourteen. That they're in the finals. You know, yeah. the fact that he's a size, whatever, 16, 17, his foot's on the line. Um, but, right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, we all think it, it's the same thing with like fights. I've never really been into fights. I was in National Guard. Like, I, I got some basic hand to hand where I'm somewhat confident, I'm somewhat physically fit. I've never just been in an all out fucking brawl where it's like me versus you. I've never been in an octagon, right? So mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going to react a certain way if I get hit. I got no fucking idea. Same. If I had two hundred million dollars, I think I know how how I would act. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> I have no yeah, idea sure. what that kind of money is going to do to me. And then years later, when I forget what it was like to worry about my bank account, and now I'm just I I have weird connections. Like why the how, like you just fucking Facetime with famous rappers? Imagine that shit. It's just odd, man. Odd. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'll like, we'll, like, we'll never, like, I mean, who knows? Maybe we will someday, but it's just like a completely different world from us. It is. But it's a 1% world. We, yeah, when as a fan, we watch it and we just can't understand how this person can get over it that fast. But it's also not our life either. Yeah. And they have completely different experiences and, and an imaginable amount of money. Dude, it's stupid amounts of money. I think yeah. I, I don't even know how I watched or I didn't watch, but I had um, skimmed through like Brewster's Million. Are you familiar with that? No. What is that? So it's like an '80s movie with Richard Pryor, John Candy. 
It's a really cool okay. movie. So basically, I forget how much money he had to get, but it was this thing where if you can spend $38 million in one week, not buy anything that is an asset, you literally just have to spend it on shit. Yeah. You can't buy a house. Now you can rent a house and throw a dope ass party. You can yeah. buy food and cater. You can't you can't buy art because that appreciates. Can't a car only if it depreciates, right? So like he had to spend $38 million in like a week. And the whole time, like you realize, like, oh yeah. And then he's like, I literally cannot spend more than like three hundred thousand dollars a day. So I look at these dudes with $200 million contracts and the fucking, they're getting paychecks for like $12 million a month, man. $8 million a month like comes in. What do you do with that? But wear weird ass things, try weird ass food, go to weird ass places, party with weird ass people. Like what else do you do? You're not content with like a 2000 square foot home. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I can't even imagine like just having... Like a almost like an unending stream of money, but some like the thing also like these athletes also go bankrupt, which is like they do. Which That's is so crazy. Sad. That's so sad. Yeah, that's the different level. The they've done a bunch of documentaries on that shit, but that's because they just they're too trusting and they don't invest. So like the ones yeah, I'm thinking of, like Harden, Harden, Harden's next level with endorsements, and you've got a five year, two hundred million dollar contract guaranteed. Um, mm-hmm. The dudes who go broke tend to be those dudes who, well, I guess Antoine Walker was a little different because he, I think he got close to a hundred million in earnings, but the dudes who tend to go broke are the ones who get that one-time contract. They get maybe $10 million. And then it's like, what'd you do, man? Well, I bought a couple watches and a car and a house that I owe $30,000 a year on property taxes on <laughs> that costs yeah. two, two grand a month to heat. And you're like, what? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. What's that? What's that guy's name in um, uh, in the Cavs? Um, Delonte West. Delonte West is uh, like a yeah. crackhead now. Did yeah, you, he had some. Did you hear about that? Yeah, he had legit mental. Like he had a mental breakdown. Yeah, I mean that too. That's like super sad. But like I, I thought it was a joke because like they when the, yeah. the screenshots were happening, like coming up on Instagram and stuff. I was like, that's just like a look like. That's kind of insulting to Delonte, dude. And then, like, it's, like, real. And then I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, that's so sad. Like, how did that happen? Dude, he was but, making uh, a comeback, and I th- I think he got caught on the back of a motorcycle with, like, 16 guns. What? So he was, like, on – like, he was, like, trying to make a fringe comeback. You know, like, when you get that, like, okay, we know you got a little bit of skill, so we'll throw you whatever, G League, or we'll give you a 10-day or something like that. And he fucking was like speeding on a Kawasaki, whatever. And his backpack had like five automatic weapons, some shit like that. And then that happened before the whole homeless thing where he actually had to go to rehab. Like he's had some real mental problems. Wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, like he had that rumor too, but like him like banging uh, LeBron's mom during the playoffs. Stop, dude. That that? is not a thing. That is not a thing. No, that is a thing. Yeah. So during the playoffs, um, like, uh, holy shit, dude. So I just Googled Delonte West and I was about to put motorcycle and instead yeah. Google brings up Delonte West, mother LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that was the thing. Like, um, yeah, during the, the I forgot which playoff cause I'm a huge LeBron fan too. So I used, I used to watch all of this, like, like playoff runs. And I remember when this happened, um, 
the the chemistry between the Lonky West and LeBron James was just like like there was nothing there. And then like after the the playoffs was finished, I think they got knocked out and um it, it surfaced that um Delonte West was seen with LeBron's mom like outside the hotel and like like stuff like that. And then <laughs> people were trying to confirm it and like yeah. Dude, yeah. January twentieth, twenty twenty one. Like that's in the Republic world. Did did Delonte's West NBA career derail after his alleged affair from two thousand ten? Bleacher Report even brought that shit up. Jesus Christ. That's why you don't bang on oh King James' God. mom, dude. <laughs> but dude, think about like mentally. So the, the gun thing was 2009. He was on a three-wheel bike and he only had three loaded guns, one in a guitar. Like think about your mentality and then how – I know LeBron James's mother – I think she had LeBron James when she was a teen. Yeah, so, yeah, but at the same time, like Delonte, you're going after that kind of cougar, like that—that yeah. that right there, man. You're in a bad place mentally. You know, like those like soccer players too. They're like, cause like I, um, I'm a, I used to be a big like Manchester United fan when I was in high school, and I remember like all those guys used to like bang each other's wives, and then they get into like fights and like all of that. And I'm like, why are you guys banging each other's wives, like? You guys have so much fucking money. Like, maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. That it's like a challenge. Yeah, the competitiveness. Yeah, but I mean, that's what makes sense. There's so many like hot like girls you can like cheat on your wife with. Why your teammates like mom or why your teammates like wife or Shit, I don't know, man. Like, Did you were you much of a sports guy as far as playing, like middle school, high school? Yeah, uh, I grew up playing, uh, like, basketball. I grew up playing, like, I mean, I played everything, like, baseball, like, football, like, soccer. But I was only really good at, uh, like, basketball. Um, I also thought, I, I always tried out for the high school basketball team. I always got cut. I also, that also, I always said it was for favoritism. Because <laughs> I did good and, like, I, I was great at doing lines, um, all the like the practices, I I was a good runner. Um, I was a good defender, but I was kind of like a showboat. So I at one point in the practice, I in the tryout, we're doing like these one on one on tryouts, and I was doing I was doing like excelling it at it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this year I'm definitely making it. And then there was one point where you have to defend, and then you get you rebound the ball, and now you're attacking. Oh, okay. So I immediately cross this guy out, and I'm fucking going for like a under the leg layup to show like showboating, right? <laughs> Just clowning this guy, and he was like, he was considered like our best like point guard. He was, you know, he played for like our high school like before like every year like whatever. So I like I was like paired up with him the whole time. So I'm like beating him on laps. I'm like like outperforming him. You know, I defend him, and then I cross him, and I do a under the leg, and then I do a layup, and I make it in. And the coach was like, get the fuck out of here! Yeah. No showboating! And I'm like, fuck you! And I was so angry. I was like, fuck you! You never fucking let me in! And then like, I was like, well, fuck it, I'm done. And then I like, left. Is that but, senior uh, year for you? Sorry? Is that senior year for you? Yeah, that was senior year. Oh, and that yeah. was like my last chance of like making it. That's and I tried out every single year. And I, I like the thing is, like, my high school always had the same group of guys like doing it. And it was our, and even the guy who became our like senior year coach, 
he was the guy who played beforehand with everyone else. So he was in in university at that point, but then he would come down to the high school and he would coach. Oh, and wow. was, he was basically picking exactly the same crew. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, oh, uh, yeah. I just remember, uh, yeah, and that was like the last time I tried out for it. And I think in grade nine, I actually did. Like, I, I was, uh, they did let me come to road games to be benched. <laughs> and I did like, like, yeah, I did come with them for like road games once in a while, but I was never officially in the team. Oh, and it always like frustrated me. What were your, what were your measurements? Like how tall, how big were you back oh, then? Oh, no, I was like super short. That was, it makes sense to be honest. Like I was uh, like five, I'm like five seven, like 173 centimeters. Um, like short. Um, but I really wanted to like just get better because I I wanted the foundations. I was a good like dribbler. I was really fast and I had really good cardio. But I wasn't the best like spot up shooter. Um, yeah, I just wanted like playing. I wanted discipline. That's why I really wanted to join the team. Yeah. But I, they never gave me a chance. And um, yeah, even to this day when I play my my boys and like in the court. I'm always like, fuck, I wish I had, like, the foundations. Because when I play with, like, guys uh, who play high school ball or even university ball, yeah, they're so foundationally, like, sound, you Dude, know? Dude, just the basic way those fuckers can pivot, post, move. They're yeah. so under control at every moment. And, like, people yeah. who just fuck around, it's so easy to get nervous and I, I don't know why. Like, that really is the difference. It, again, my limited experience, I've seen – I've actually coached I dude I fucking coached a kid that just got drafted Zach Geloff got drafted in the major league baseball by the A's in the wow. second round. I fucking coached him in 7th and 8th grade. And like awesome. see yeah I have coached another kid in middle school who went on to play D3 I think he was D3 maybe conference player of the month but just you, you look at what they've done so I've seen these kids when they get to high school and you see the reps they get and then you see the other kids who stop playing and like, yeah, they're like you, man. They're kind of showboaty. They're flashy. They got the cardio, but the control and like mm -hmm. the plan, the kids who get coached have a plan for all these different situations. Yeah. And the kids who are just like playing are so sporadic, man. They can never get the control to get to a plan to execute. It's so yeah, that's, true. That's what I realized. In university, because um, I play like I, I I grew up playing just street ball, which is basically just like ISO and try to like beat that across that other guy up yeah. and like just, like pound them, right? And if you pass it, you're never getting it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're gonna have to look for the ISO and like. So I, I'm playing in like university, like in our like um, like just like the gym, and I'm playing against like actual university players and like like big guys, like, and I'm just like wow. The level was so much different. I was like, wow, I'm like, I, I, I realized I just didn't understand, like, I just didn't understand the game. Because I, I grew up playing street ball, just like wild, like, moves. And like, yeah, I can sometimes, like, get, get a layup on these guys. But these guys were all, like, so, like, um, they all had, like, the foundations and, like. Well, they the have a wide range of skills, man. Like, it's amazing if when you can make layups with both hands at multiple angles. Yeah, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, too, yeah. not only make a right hand layup and a left hand layup, but like reverse left hand layup with your chert with your chest to the baseline. And now let's put your chest to the far baseline to make a left hand layup. So now I can make a left hand layup three ways. Oh, but now I have a left hand floater. That's four. Can my floater go off the backboard? Because that's five, and that's a higher release point. Now if I do it with my right, 
I can score 10 ways. And yeah. most people who are street ballers, they're like, yeah, man, I just do funny shit and I make the ball spin and it goes in. And you're like, all right, that's yeah. cool, right? Like, but it's all got to be in a rhythm for them where like the kids who get that kind of training and reps, it, it they, they just have this arsenal of weapons, man. Because they, again, doing the whole going back to like coaching, we're doing right-hand floaters, 30 seconds. How many you got? All right, left-hand floaters, 30 seconds. Now right-hand floaters off the backboard, 30 seconds. And you do that every day for three months, for three years, because you're in the pipeline. The coach knows your name, so you get to stay in the system. There's no way you don't get better if you show up, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, another thing, like, so what, I went to school in New York, and uh, I became friends with this, like, dude, uh, uh, one of my friends, like, we, like, go play ball. And he played high school ball in New York. And, and you're talking New York like, City or New York State? Oh, New York City. Uh, what part so of the city? From, so he's from uh, Flushing, Queens. Okay. And, uh, I mean, I lived in um, I lived in Upper Manhattan. Uh, what is it? Uh, Washington. Uh, what's it called? Washington Heights. Uh, like, all the way, like, 180th. Okay. I'm just I'm yeah. just happy I know what Manhattan is to be honest with you. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I I'm, and I I thought I was still like pretty good at basketball, so like I'm like yo, let's go play some ball. I I heard you play some like high school ball, let's like go one on one. So like I'm playing and like right off like around like second possession, like he like he reached me right away, and he's like, I know exactly what you're gonna do, Dave. Like I know all your moves already. And I'm like, fuck, are you serious? Because I can't, like, I'm like, okay, now I'm really intimidated. Because <laughs> I don't really have that many moves. So you already know all my moves. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and and that's, that's also another thing. I'm just like, man, I wish, I just wish I had, like, someone to teach me in high school. Because I, I feel like if I, like, learned, if I'd been trained, I could be, I could have more, like, moves. But I just, like, grew up playing, like, just street ball. And now <laughs> I'm just, a, I still, I'm a 34-year-old guy playing, like, pickup ball in the streets. Can I still play? I'm still playing like a little kid, you know? Right. <laughs> and yeah. when high school kids I play with are so much better, like, so well-rounded and everything. And I'm just like, God damn it. Dude, well, it's something to be said about, like, keeping that little kid energy when you get older. Like, that shit. No, I, cool. I, can't, I can't even keep up anymore, too, though. Because, like, the cardio, I don't even have anymore. <laughs> After, like, two games, I'm like, oh, my God, guys. Like, slow the fuck down. Like, slow <laughs> down. I can't, I can't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> dude that is true man it's um i, I don't know if, if you haven't gone out there might have been five years ago for me i was playing pickup just to get some cardio in like i might have even been out there in like tennis shoes because i was going for a jog and i was like oh shit there's a couple dudes out there and you can tell as soon as someone shoots as soon as someone dribbles you can tell where you rank versus where they rank and if it'll be mm-hmm. competitive if you can dominate it whatever so I see a couple dudes out there playing, and um, I'm like, oh, shit, let me get some shots up. They're playing 21. Then an hour later, dudes from the high school team that knew me that had graduated and are now in college come to the court. And since they know me, they're like, oh, we got O'Grady, we got O'Grady, because they want I'm their little fucking pet. I'm like the cute thing. <laughs> yeah. I can't do shit. Like if I catch the ball, I can barely pivot without these young dudes – just snatching it from me. Fuck if I want to dribble. I'm just trying to D you up and go like baseline to baseline, corner three to corner three. If I catch it, I'm moving it right away. 
And yeah. the level of quickness and athleticism, man, unless you go out there, once you start like aging a little bit, it's so weird to realize you got nothing compared to these young dudes. Yeah. It's funny because I, I have one of my close friends is also a high school uh, teacher. I mean, I have a lot of high school teacher friends, but uh, <laughs> he, teaches, uh, he coaches their uh, basketball team. Right. So we're just playing just outside my, uh, my place, um, playing pickup ball. And his like, high school kids came by and he's like, God damn it. <laughs> and he's like, you know, he's, he hasn't been really playing serious ball in a long time other yeah. than like just coaching. Yeah. And he's like, oh, okay, yo, Dave, you got to like play hard because... These are my high school kids that I coach, and we have to beat them. I can't, I can't just leave here without beating them. Yeah, right. But we actually ended up beating them, so maybe they, uh, maybe they went easy on us. But nah. I remember just like these kids were so tall and like lengthy. They don't have the old man strength yet. Yeah. But they have all the. They were so athletic and they're fast, but they just didn't have the strength yet, so we could just like manhandle them. But uh, yeah, they, well, that's man, what happens, so right? You just start pounding the rock, put your back into the kid, get to the yeah. post. You try to do some little funky move to like get them, or you call a lot of fouls. And one, even though you didn't make it, don't matter. I called yeah. the foul. Yeah. <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> yeah. uh, God, we are cranky old men. That's awesome. It's awesome. It's really a blessing to get to the age where you can be a cranky old man. Complain about yeah. internet. Complain about <laughs> NBA players, Instagram posts, and high schoolers kicking your ass. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Uh-huh. Tell me, let me, dude, let me pivot. I can't believe um, it's the getting to know you pod, and I feel like we've just kind of been shooting the shit, which is nice, but maybe I should get on brand a little bit. Okay. Tell me about your writing in college. You said the, the novel was like a pet project. Did you go to college to be a writer, or what? Was the genesis, since that's one of the only things that I knew about you before you came on, the novel? Like, what inspired right. it? How'd you get into it? So, um, I actually went to university for, uh, um, initially it was, uh, it was for pre-med, but oh. I just really didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do. That's so stereotypical. <laughs> yeah, and like, honestly, it wasn't like my, my parents like, influenced me at all. I think maybe it was because my parents were so, like, non-involved in my life that I thought I had to, like, go something, like, stereotypical. So, like, I chose, like, pre-med. And I remember even when I, like, got into the program, my dad was like, why did you, this, this doesn't suit you. I thought you were going to go to, like, film school or something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, this is not what you wanted? <laughs> so I was like, all right, I guess not. But I did three years of that, and then I dropped out, and I went to uh, I went to film school to study writing, oh. and there I I learned about um the three act structure, the hero's journey, and everything. And um, do you know you you taught you 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 must know like about the hero's journey, like mystic yeah. Structure so I'm not I'm not on that collegiate level, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I understand premises, but if I had to explain it to someone who is schooled in it, I'd sound like an idiot because. Basically, yeah, I, yeah. I oversimplify everything for 11 and 12-year-olds to get basic concepts. Yeah. So basically, like, um, the hero's journey on the mythic, like, um, the mythic, like, journey or, like, whatever, the three-act structure, it's really the same way you want to write an essay, and except um, the hero of your story is the theme that you're trying to convey to your viewers. And you make it so if he represents the – if the hero makes represents the theme um, – 
the theme only becomes emphasized by a sacrifice that he makes at the end of Act Two. So it's very much so like writing an essay because, and I didn't know anything about like how similar it was, and it really applies to life in general too. I think, huh. and um, um, so that like notion of sacrifice is like a big part of uh, like like. Um, Can I pause you for a minute? Because you said three yeah. act. I think this is interesting because and I don't know if students listen to this, people who are into teaching listens to this, who knows. But can you give, do you remember the breakdown of the three acts and those parts? Because honestly, I've never thought of the hero's journey connecting to informative essay writing. And when you said that, I'm super curious just from a personal level of, I wonder how many kids who know stories, if they could take what they know about stories and then mm-hmm. throw that knowledge into an essay how much more successful and good they would feel about themselves. So that's why I'm asking you to help me understand that more. Right. Yeah. So I think, um, I think if I had known this in like elementary and like middle school and high school, I, I it definitely put probably like changed my life, but it's also one of those things I think <laughs> changed my you, life. <laughs> yeah. I think it, you, you kind of, you need to experience that. Well, you have to watch a lot of movies. You have to watch, you have to read a lot of stories. You kind of understand it when, a teacher in front of you like breaks it down into structure so obviously like a lot of stories can be in different act structures but the most primitive of it is the three act which is like the introduction like the ordinary world and this and then um the second act is like the strange world where the hero is um like thrown into and then the third act is returning to that original world but with a lesson oh okay so, like for Shakespeare, it's like he does he does like four acts, like five acts, like different, like you know, the number always like changes, right? Even for like Tarantino, he does like like four acts, five acts, like six acts, like how many of what he wants. But I think the like the basic core of it. A lot of people who study like writing will probably disagree with me on this, but let's be real, guys. All you fucking writers out there, at the core of it, it's always three acts. You can argue, oh yeah, you can write with six acts, but let's be real, at the core of it, it's always that. Yeah, so it might be like a 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, 2C, and then you got a 3A, and then it's like, no, I did a seven-act play. It's like, yeah, but a couple of Yeah, so... That's... Dude, Even for these, like... Yeah, so even for these, like, um, a lot of these epic movies go with, like, five acts, right? But even with the five acts, like, how I describe it, it's like, the very first act is actually, like, I call it a teaser, I call it that. I call that act its own teaser act, and then it becomes the story where it's like one, two, three, and then the last is the teaser outro, or people call it the cold outro or cold intro, right? And then that's really its own act as well. Um, but anyways, yeah. So I learned that it kind of like blew my mind, and then now when I watch movies or read a book, it's always an act. Like I, I know how long until the next step is gonna come when I'm watching the movie. I know when the sacrifice is going to happen. I know when he's going to return to his original world, um, which which is really interesting, like perspective too. Um, but anyway, so like I started like working on this um, like thesis project. Wait, before I mean, you get to that, the- man, how yeah. does that connect to you in an essay way? Because I I almost and now I'm just like just trying to get insight, teaching wise. Yeah, how does the ordinary world, strange world, returning yeah. with a lesson? How does that connect to an essay? So, um, oh, in, in an essay form, um, it's the same thing as introduction, body, and uh, conclusion. Pound that conclusion with the lesson. Yeah. Got you. Okay. 
I didn't think it would be that simple. Why is the body the strange world? That's where you um, you test the you're supposed to test the theme, right? Even in an essay, you you have to test your theme with like um, your reasoning, your three base like base yeah, yeah, yeah. reasoning or whatever. So you're in applying a form, it. You're yeah, applying in theoretical places to all these yeah. other strange worlds. Dude, I fucking yeah. love it. Ordinary world, you're just intro. Tell people what they fucking know. Get them on topic. Yeah. And now you're going to try to take what everybody knows, connect it to some weird shit that you thought up makes you you. And because you mm-hmm. connect it to all these things, conclusion, this is the theme, the lesson from going to these thought places, these thought yeah. worlds. That is so yeah. fucking simple, man. Oh my god. Yeah, and 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 it's, I love that. It's called a mythic structure as well because it's the it's a universal structure of how human story have has evolved. So everywhere you go, all around the world, the basic like um, the theme, how a theme survives, like true human beings, like us as tribes, people telling each other, like, lessons, right? Yeah. And how do you teach the, the most um, impactful lesson? You make the hero go through um, a strange world, and you make him do a sacrifice. And then when he comes back to the ordinary world, that sacrifice, if that sacrifice is um, emphasized enough and it's meaningful enough, then your listener will, will believe the theme. So... It's also called like the mythic structure, and um, that makes sense. Why you need those extra characters to make it more meaningful? That's why you have to have whatever a girlfriend, because if you sacrifice the girlfriend and you understand how much the girlfriend means, you now understand why the sacrifice had to happen. Yeah, yeah. yeah usually, yeah. like uh, it's usually it's like um, it's the hero that himself that has to like sacrifice, um, and. Um, if you actually, like, now that you, like, someone, like, know about this, if you watch a lot of TV shows or movies, they all, like, the writers will always poke fun at this structure, too. So if you watch, like, one of, one of the movies that come up to me, is like, um, if you watch that movie Constantine with uh, Keanu Reeves, oh, in just, the end... Also, no, I, I the just, end, like, come across that maybe a year ago. i never seen it. I didn't realize how old it was. It like that I was fucking John Wick before John Wick, man. Yeah, it's a cool movie. I love that movie. It really it's, is. Really yeah. great fucking movie. So I think um where was it? who was the actress that plays the angel? Basically when she dies, she um the way she dies is because I like, John I mean not John Wick, Constantine like <laughs> sacrifices himself, right? He goes to hell instead of like the, the instead of like Rachel Weiss's character. So when the angel sees that, she looks and she's like, she whispers the sacrifice, which is like the writer's kind of poking fun at the whole, like the whole fucking mythic structure where Keanu Reeves, who's the hero, is making the sacrifice. Huh. He's going to hell instead of Rachel Wise. So, um, and there's like, if you watch like shows like Community Day, like Dan Harmon does it all the time. He's always making fun of like, like, like writing structure. Um, yeah. And like, I think like, yeah, most like, like sitcoms make fun of like the structure all the time, but it's something that you just can't avoid because it's, it is the most effective way of telling a story. You 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 bend the rules if you get good at it, right? But um, but yeah, you uh, it's always good to learn all the foundations first before you you bend the rules. Yeah, That's, and um, I, yeah. I I just 
to, I, I don't know if this is our third act for this topic or the breakdown, man. I really like, I, I never connected those and it's probably just piss poor research on my part as a teacher. But I think that the, the way you explained it to me immediately clicks. And I think of kids, all they do is fucking watch. I don't know if they watch movies as much as they watch like personas now on like social media. But mm -hmm. I think that might be a really good way for them to another way for them to look at essay writing to understand what they're doing while they're doing it. Yeah. So basically, it's the three. It, it, it starts with the three act structure, and then the hero's journey is where it gets like more complicated. Where, but it's not not really because I and there's many many different types of interpretation of how every like different writers like successfully write like structure so um i think it's christopher bogler or like it's some dude like some old dude way back in the day wrote his own structure and he made a book about it and he called it the hero's journey or like hero with the thousand faces or something so he wrote like oh there's like 12 major steps or 13 major steps and there's four in the first act and then there's six in the second act and then there's like three in the the third act or whatever so he made up his own rule and then like years after all these other guys came out with their own like like hero's journey like with all these like different steps and dan Harmon, who i just mentioned with um community and like rick and morty and stuff he has his own thing which i love his his version is also great so there's no real like um real way to like go with like structure i think because there's different ways to interpret it but at the core of it there's this three act structure i think which should be respected what do you like about his hero's journey, Dan Harmon's? Um, I don't really know. I gotta read. I gotta look at it again. But I remember, like, cause I got. I I love reading other people's like like structures, right? Like breakdowns. And I I always stuck with the very old school shit, like like the hero with thousand faces and stuff. But Dan Harmon's, it's like maybe eight steps. And I just love his writing, too. I just respect him as, like, a writer. So, like, when I saw his stuff, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like, I like it. And I think it's also because he puts in the inner journey as well. So, you break, when you do the steps, there's, um, you usually do the A plot first. So, a good, good script, a good story will have multiple plot points, all the way to, like, plot point 10 or something. So, the very first A plot would be, what drives, what physically drives what the, the viewer or the reader like sees. So um, just by scene by scene, like physical things that they see. And then usually if this writer is really good, they would make the B plot an inner journey, like an emotional journey. Oh, okay. So like, how is this guy feeling in all these steps in the first act? How is that being affected in act two when he's faced with all these different obstacles? And then, it, and it, you usually have to go for emotion journey. You have to go in a roller coaster. So, in Act Two, you're supposed to put your hero in the worst situation as as possible. You keep beating him down, keep beating him down, and by the end of it, he's almost dead, and that's the climax of the story. So it's it's also called the innermost cave, where in Star Wars, it's them in the in the trash compactor and the compactor is about to crush them so they're uh, about to die right dude that's fucking intense yeah so basically every fucking movie is like this even if it's like a romantic comedy and the, the character himself or herself is not in an actual life or death moment emotionally that has to happen 
and then like in that moment there needs to be like some kind of sacrifice or like whatever and then it goes down like the emotional journey kind of goes down and like eases up and then it, it eases its way into uh, act three where the hero at that point may have learned the lesson if he hasn't if he haven't hasn't learned the lesson then he's considered a, a tragic hero a hero that never learned the, the lesson so it's like um there's i can't remember there's a lot of movies like that, um, just like sad movies, usually, uh, like comedies are usually um, tragic heroes too. Yeah, right. They did, yeah, they never like learned a lesson and they just keep doing their thing. So that's also um, the, the, it's also called the fatal flaw of the hero. Okay. The fatal flaw is also the thing that represents the theme. So um, if it's like, lo- if loyalty is the theme, the hero in act one should represent he doesn't trust anyone. So that's his fatal flaw. And in act two, he goes down with that same attitude and he doesn't trust anyone. And because of that, he keeps going into worse, worse like, situation. And then in the climax, maybe this guy who he didn't consider his friend dies. And then he realizes, oh my God, he was with me the entire time and now I learned this lesson. And as he's going into act three and it's back to his ordinary world, he learned his lesson. He knows about loyalty. If he didn't, and he still doesn't trust anyone, then he's a tragic hero. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. So I don't know if I'm actually explaining this like well or not, but... Uh, no, I think so, man. It's been I a think while. Maybe it's I'm just, again, super dorky, but I, I like I like hearing about this from learned people. And if you went to film school, and if you showed up for at least one class, you're more learned <laughs> about this than I am. So I, it, to me, that's interesting. Don't feel awkward at all. Dude, I and yeah, I haven't talked about it in like so long, like years. Right? Uh, yeah, and like just explaining it is, uh, I was just like, wow, how do I explain this? Like, where, where do I go first? Like, yeah, dude, it's in yeah, there. It's in like, you. Look at you. You're a fucking teacher. You just gave a lesson. Go get wow. certified. <laughs> I gotta go get certified now. <laughs> so, what did? How does this help you with writing your story, your graphic novel? Dude, does it? Does it like imprison you or are you the kind of person that tries to like challenge, poke fun, break out of, make your own structure? Yeah. So when I was in like school and even like outside of school, cause I, I, I have a lot of like writer friends that we write together and like whatever. They always, I mean, I would say a handful of them always deny um, the structure. They're like, you don't need the structure to write. They, like that's all fake or like they just like talk shit about it I'm like no it's not dude this is like like are you dumb this is like the foundation of everything like it's this has been the shit since like caveman days like right. you can deny it all you want yeah it's tried and like, true there are like some yeah. certain va- not even with stories but just like e equals mc squared right for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction energy is not created or destroyed there are certain principles that just stand true yeah and i think they try to they a lot of writers want to deny it because they think like you said it puts you in in a in a cage to like think a certain way but i don't think because you're not creative you're not creative if you're following rules all it is is a blueprint anybody can write here's my loyalty story you don't trust anybody and then you but and like i think that is how a lot of creative people view it because they want to create they don't want to follow 
Yeah, but you're still, like, in my opinion, like, you're still creating, and it's extremely challenging to still even write like that. Like, it's really, really hard even to, like, write in a structure. And then, obviously, like, if you know about the structure, you should know better not to follow the structure entirely. You want to bend the rules at certain places to make it, like, more fluid. Because if you, if, even when you watch, like, Hollywood movies and, after a while, like, again, like, old man, you know, after, like, 30 years of watching, like, movies, you'll know what's going to happen the next scene. Yeah. You just know. And that's instinctively, like, I think it's within us to understand the structure like that. And if you if you did that to your movie or your, like, story or whatever, then, yeah, you're a fucking bad writer. But if you, like, bend the rules and maybe you, maybe the viewer thought this was going to happen, but something else happened, and then it, it, it took another step for that anticipated thing to happen then yeah you 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 played around with the viewer right at that point or the how if you can switch up the how even if i know it's coming but how it happened yeah like whoa great way to get to that lesson of trusting your friend yeah yeah like and yeah and i think even like with the theme like that too like tricking the viewer to thinking like the theme is about like loyalty or trust and then you have all these other like interlaced like um like plot points where one of his like sidekicks might his theme might be like finding like his like dad or like whatever and there there's like some like some kind of theme with like family in there and then there's another character that represents like like love but like maybe it's like forbidden love or whatever and if you're able to like emphasize all these different plot points extremely well then you're just gonna be you're gonna confuse the audience like and you're still following structure, but because you're writing all these plot points so well, like interweaving everything, it's going to be an enjoyable ride no matter what. Um, yeah, because you're being creative within those confines. confines. Yeah, yeah. So the creativity is always there. So I don't. Yeah, I, 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 I have like a few like writing like friends that like are like like vehemently like against it. I'm just like. Like I just don't, I, I just don't even bring it up because like when we do read each other's scripts or stories, like for me, like the very first thing I do is I break it down into structure, um, and they think it's like it's like very hacky, and I'm like, <laughs> it's not. It's 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 too, it's really to to see if if your theme is there, if your hero is actually representing something, right. and every scene makes sense like with with it, you know. It's like the one of the best ways to check. If your story is going anywhere. Well, it's a recipe, right? Like, you're going to make chocolate chip cookies, and why aren't there chocolate chips in here? Where's the flour? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I look at it. I mean, maybe I'm oversimplified. I'm not educated uh, formally in it. But just from a consumer and a thinker, like, it makes sense. Yeah. But that said, I I hope my story's good, because it doesn't really matter if I can... That's one of the things I realized too. Like I'm very good at like breaking breaking stories down. So I have like friends that send me their stories all the time, and I and they they know I'm gonna break it down for them. So I'm I'm good at that. But I mean, this is also like my own work where I've done my own breakdown, and it's just like um, it's one of those things where when I did the Kickstarter and then like everything, I was like, you know what? I'm it's what it is. I've already finished it. There's no going back. Let's not go back and keep editing because it's going to be an endless cycle like that. Yeah. So however it's released is however it's released. Uh, if it doesn't follow structure, if people get lost, my bad. 
I guess I wasn't that good. <laughs> All that knowledge for not. That's I'm a tragic hero. I'm a tragic writer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, dude, tell me about what what got you into why. I guess let me help. Maybe I should structure this better. And I wonder what are the acts of a podcast? Do the acts of a podcast should they follow a certain thing? But that's a whole nother um, a whole nother rabbit hole. What what is the summary of your story? Because I don't even know if I ever actually got you to say it. So let's go with that. And then I'd like to know, like, what motivated you to write this story? Right. It's actually kind of like dumb. Um, so my, my log line, like, is, um, oh, I've, I've been, like, rehearsing this for so long. Let me just, uh, all right, so the log line of the story is, it's a story, it's a, it's a fall from gray story of an aging crime lord um, as war breaks out again in the city that he once ruled. So that's the logline of the story, like the brief summary. Um, it's the story, the idea itself comes from a biblical illusion. Oh. So it comes from a King Saul story. And as, um, as David comes up, he gets replaced. And there's this period of when he gets really jealous of David. Yeah, that and was some reason- real fucking drama. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like, if oh, you haven't yeah. read that Old Testament drama between Saul and David, it's a mind fuck, man. Yeah. Like you're fucking chucking spears at this dude. You're calling yeah, him your yeah, son, exactly. right? Like yeah. you're. It, it's a complete mind fuck. So it's a so it's a modern adaptation of that. I love that. So that's dude. Like the, yeah, so that's like a hidden part like, um, of it. So I don't I, I don't really go and tell people about this this um this part of the story. I just want them to see us like a modern, like crime Lord, like why being did, paranoid. And why stuff. did that, why, why go with that illusion? Cause it fit what you wanted or was that something that you, uh, I guess, with? So, um, it's real dumb because you know, my Christian name is David. I was, <laughs> I wanted to write. <laughs> Stop. So, when I was, so when I was in school, cause I, this was my graduation thesis. I was like, I'm going to write a story about how badass David is. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, so I, I went up to like, cause I, and then I did like research on King David, and then I like read it, and then if I did a story, a modern adaptation of King David's story, then it, it would be too obvious, you know, mm-hmm. like he's gonna fight Goliath and like you know whatever, whatever. So I was like, oh, I think this guy Saul is a way more interesting character, cause he was chosen by God to to like unite the tribes and like fight the Philistines and like all of that. And then this kid comes along who thought was who he thought was like a, like a hard playing dude. Yeah. Kills Goliath. Fucking lunch boy. Everyone, yeah, everyone fucking loves him. Now he's chucking spears at him. Like he sends him out to go like die, but he comes back alive. I don't know. And, and I was like, okay, this guy's story is way better. So I uh, I modeled it after him, and then I wrote a story. Uh, Dude, that, that's yeah. hilarious. What, your yeah, don't thesis... tell anybody, by the way. Don't tell anybody. That's a secret. <laughs> oh, I'll edit it out. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't really care. Dude, that's the fucking balls on you, man. Your thesis was how much of a badass David was <laughs> just because your name is David. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I thought it was just like funny. Because I was like, what, what, should, what should I write about? Like, I was... It's, it's, especially when you're in school too, like there's, it's just like, you want to write something that's going to be like fun and like motivating, 
Yeah. And that's something that you're going to finish, right? Because if you're like too attached to it and you're, you constantly like you're editing, 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 because it's not perfect. I just don't, I just wanted something like fun. I'm like, okay, this is a fun idea because like meta wise, I guess it's really about the name David. It really, I really don't care about the biblical part, but it's cool that that's, that's there. And it's, it's cool that it's a modern like adaptation of it, but really it's all about how David came to be king and, I thought that was just like a fun, fun way of like doing it. Dude, that, I mean, but that is a really neat concept. I love, it's part of going back to Game of Thrones and even with your friend, like who cares about the butcher boy, right? But it's fucking Mm -hmm. cool to think about the butcher boy and what could have happened. And like, who cares about Saul? Fucking ruined it, man, right? But at the same time, it's cool to break down that perspective because that's a very, you would think, common perspective, even to like a CEO, which you hear from a lot of people, why can't I get promoted? Well, these gatekeepers are keeping me down because they fear my potential. And mm-hmm. that, to me, is like a common life theme, especially in a capitalistic world, where you have that power struggle. People age, and maybe they're not. We were just talking about it with basketball. People age, and you're not as good at what you're doing, and there's yeah. young up-and-comers. And when does the power shift? I, I think it's yeah, really it, fucking cool, man. You know what's funny? Like, cause like when I wrote it, I was like mid twenties, like early twenties, and now when I like read it again, I relate so much to Saul's character because <laughs> I'm older now. Because when I was writing it when I was younger, it was all about the David character, right? And even though the main character was Saul's character. I always like related to the David character, but now that I'm older and I'm finally like turning it into like a graphic novel, I'm, I'm I, I relate more to Saul and like how he's getting old and he's like jealous of all these like young guys and like whatever, whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's funny how like I can relate to both, like yeah. both um, characters. And yeah, I think most people can, yeah. right? Well, I, I think most people who are, accomplished and trying to i don't know if hold on to a position is the right way to think about it but they've been established but they are dealing with the fact that they're replaceable your mm-hmm. mortality right your your career mortality is a thing that's fucking dude that's so dope i can't i love the origin story of the fact that you were, yeah. that, you were that much dominant. of a smart ass. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, I do that same shit, man. That's what I fucking love. That's part of what I love yeah. just about thinking is you can pick something so stupid, but at the same yeah. time do it so intelligently. Yeah, so that's um, one of the things, like my one of my favorite, favorite, like, um, like director and writer, is, as corny as it sounds, is James Cameron. Um, I, I watched... Probably, I probably watched all of his interviews, and one of the things he he says, I he says in his like interviews, it's always like, it doesn't matter what other people think. There's always things that you yourself, as like the creator, want to see, and it doesn't matter like like what other people think. There's things that you want to see, and you and you just gotta do it. And that's how he come, came up with all of this, all of his like movies, right? And for me, like I would just say. Just David, just King David. <laughs> like, that's just all it is. As dumb as that sounds, <laughs> like, uh. dude. I don't think it sounds dumb at all. I think it sounds personal as hell, and I think it sounds like a story a bunch of people could connect with. Uh, 
why didn't you yeah, finish I, I it? Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Why didn't you um finish it, or why did it take so long to finish? Um, it was always so the treatment was finished. The treatment was always finished. So the treatment is like uh, basically um, it's it's a. Uh, the treatment is basically like the entire story with every single beat from a beat is an action. So every single action in each act or each, like the whole story basically. So I, I've already finished the, the treatment for it. Like when I graduated, cause that was like, like my thesis. Um, and then I, I started writing the actual script for it, like in chunks, like throughout my life. And then, um, what's yeah, the and then difference? COVID, what's the... I was surprised when you called it a script. I didn't mean to interrupt you, man. I'm sorry. But oh, no problem. No problem. I, I was surprised when you called it a script, not a story. Is that just like a terminology thing, or why isn't it a story? Why is it a script? Oh, um, it's a script because I've, I've, that's what I like, like learned in film school, like, uh, like screenplay writing. Oh. So uh, I learned that's like the writing, like um, like technical format that I learned writing in. So even like um, preparing yourself to write a screenplay, like writing the treatment, like the outlines, like the character outlines, like how you will present it to a producer. Like that's how like I went through that traditional process of like writing for this script, and then I because I, I originally thought it was, it was going to be. Um, a movie, a movie or an animation. So that's, oh, and I, and also at the back of my head, I'm just like, it's never going to get sold. So that's also why like the motivation was never there. You know, like these why movies did, never get made. And like, you know, why did you think it wouldn't get sold? Uh, I've been, I've been working in like, in, in the film industry, like the commercial like industry for a while. And, I guess I just, as I was getting older, I was just like getting more and more discouraged because um, I, I wrote like TV screenplays as well with my like writing partner and um, they never, they just never went anywhere. Like it never, none of these things got picked up. So I was always just like kind of like discouraged. I, I always apply for um, these like, like workshops that these studios have like NBC, like in New York. There's a studio here in Toronto for Netflix. Uh, I never got in. You know what? I'm going to say I'm a tangent here. <laughs> so a few years ago, there's a show called Kim's Convenience, right? Okay. Which is, it's a, it's a sitcom about Korean immigrants having a convenience store. And it's about their lives, their family lives. So I'm a Korean immigrant. So I, I submitted my thing. Like, you know, my application, my, like, writing samples and whatever. And you know what? My writing sample was probably not good enough. But my friend, who's not Korean, who, who also, like, applied for it, like, she got it. And, like, I was, like, after, like, it was, like, a cynical joke. I'm, like, oh, right, of course, the white girl's going to get it, not the actual <laughs> Korean guy. And I said it in front of her. But as a joke, but I also felt really bad because I was, like, oh, man. I have, I have cynical humor, I have dark humor, and I'm just like, oh, fuck that. I probably should have said that. But I mean, also, she's a seasoned writer, so she's actually, like, worked in the industry for a really long time, so she got the job, basically. But but even that, like, I was, that was probably my last mission. I was just like, oh, okay, bad, I'm done. I just can't do this anymore. How, I'm so curious, because I've not spoken to someone who's 
<laughs> I think of like a job application to be a teacher and I know how to fill that out. If I wanted to be a writer for Netflix, I have no fucking idea what that application is. And when you say submitted for it, can you share a little bit about, do you have to write new stuff? Do you have a portfolio of like your yeah. best writing that you kick to them? Do they give you a prompt? And they're like, hey, here's the scene. Where would you go with this character? How does that work? So usually um, you start with a spec script, which is like um, you, you choose like a TV show and uh, you you study the world and the characters and you study the structure of that TV show, right? And then you copy it and then you write your own episode. So that's called a spec script. So that that shows like the producer or the hiring staff, the writing, like the head, the head writer or whatever, whoever's reading it, that you really understand like structure and understanding like how other TV shows, like showrunners like want the show to, to be and like all the characters that like, you understand it like deeply. And then you, I think you also want to present them your original script as well. It could be a feature or it could be your original like pilot, like whatever. But usually like it's, in my experience, it's always like a spec script and original. And the spec script can't be like the same TV show that you're applying to. <laughs> I don't know why that is, but that's that's what I that's what I heard. Okay. Um, so I had a spec script on with South Park because I like, I wanted to write for sitcoms and like like sketch shows. For, for so for M NBC, I applied for uh for Saturday SNL. Okay. Uh, to be a write to like to go in their writing workshop there. Um, so yeah, my my spec script was um was a, uh, a South Park one. I can't even remember because it's been so long. It's probably a bad sign, that, but anyway, it's, it's, it's totally written, I think. You know, I'm not even going to blame anyone. Like, yeah, like my, my portfolio sucks. And I really didn't put enough care into it to like update it like constantly and like write something more original. I'm also, yeah, I am joking about like, you know, my friend getting it. Like she's a, she's a close friend. Like I congratulated her when she got it. Like, no hard feelings. But it's also yeah. a good joke that I didn't get it. Dude, it's, so, it's I love ironic <laughs> as fuck. And you know it would be even better if her name was Karen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, like, and the funny thing is, like, I actually have, like, a one-off connection to the showrunner as well. Because, you know, like, a lot of Koreans kind of know each other in the industry. So, like, I know I'm one connection off from the showrunner uh. of Kim's Convenience. And even when I, like, like, and I was just so, I mean, I was, like, I don't know. I, I was already working at a different studio at that point, so I didn't really care. But it was also, like, oh, wow, I, I, I it would have felt better if it, if the person was Korean. <laughs> but it's just, like, it was just, like, whatever. Um, yeah, you. anyways, um, yeah, and then COVID hit, and I was, like, you know what? I love, I love graphic novels. I love comics. I grew up, like, reading comics, so... And my close friend is a, a, an illustrator, and I and I just had this idea. I was like, should I just ask him? <laughs> and then he was like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, yeah, and so far it's going really well. It's completely different too. It's it's changed the way I write because writing for a movie is completely different writing for a comic like panel. And uh, yeah, it's it's been a really really fun journey so far. What's the difference for you? Um, so I guess I, when you're writing for a TV show or a, um, a film, you write it 
as detailed as possible um, in the vision that you think uh, how it, you how you think would happen on screen, right? And once the director gets assigned, it's really all up to the director to like do it. But as a writer, you have no say in that once it gets picked up. But you want to write it strategically as possible so that the director sees the same vision as you. Um, when you're writing it for, but so I wrote it like that, like for scripts, like film format. But when you're actually writing it for a comic book, like it is very similar to like storyboarding for film, but now you're doing it yourself with an illustrator. So like now I'm like actually like like like. Like um, explaining if if it's like a wide shot or if it's a close up at that point, because these are all things you can't do as a writer. Like immediately, like when a production house like like sees it, like they cross it out, and you're like, oh, you're an amateur writer. Like don't ever like write these stage directions because this is the director's job. Okay. The director is supposed to read it, and then they write uh, how the camera is gonna move, where the the perspective is going to be, and like whatever, right? The, what the foreground will be. God. But now, as I'm working with an illustrator doing these panels, I'm hands-on doing all of this, which is super fun, but it's also like mind-boggling. It's like, yeah, it's so just, then you it's actually, like a different part. You're directing, in essence, the image going on to each, I'm going to call it a cube or square or rectangle, but in each yeah. box. I guess I should have said box, right? So that, that's, that's what's called a panel. Panel. Oh, okay. um, each box, yeah. Got you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's... Um, and how come the illustrator... Is it common that the illustrator doesn't take on more of the directive role? Or is it more simple for them to, like, be told, hey, man, make it a close-up of the face on this panel, and then they just roll with that because they have so many other artistic details to worry about? So, technically, also for... Um, so maybe... Uh, okay, so... So technically, even for uh, a comic, the illustrator is actually supposed to come up with panels and panel examples, like alternate like panel ideas. And um, in the beginning, we did work like that, but I, I didn't like any of the panels. So I kind of felt like a dictator. <laughs> like, I'm like, no, sorry, this is not going to work. <laughs> uh, but I also have like also like my like my buddy Dicky. He's also you know he's a close friend, so he's been very um, cooperative with me. He, he's just like you know what? Why don't you just do the fucking storyboard? Just let me know, and then I would just like pencil it and ink it. And I was like, oh cool. I guess I would just have to do that. And like I started doing it, and then like I shared it with him. I was like, hey, let me know if that works. And sometimes you'll be like, no, that's not going to work. We're going to change that panel into this. And I'm like, oh, no, that's fine. That's completely fine. So I am like open for change. But um, so far it's been, uh, I would say like 90% of it has been like my, um, like from my storyboarding. Gotcha. And I think it flows really well. And I, and I think I do have like a say because I, I mean, I don't know. I'm being a dictator for sure. But I read a lot of comic books growing up. So I, I, I feel like Certain panels need to flow a certain way, right? And Dicky too, you know, grew up reading comic books. But I'm I'm just happy that he's so easygoing with me that he's just like, hey, that's fine. You the way you you draw, 
storyboards, it actually makes sense to me too. So I'm gonna let you do it. So I was like, okay, cool. Okay. Um, so like so far the process has been like that, and um, and since like you know we both work, so it's like um, it's like a passion project on the side for us. So our our pace isn't as fast as like the professional. And it's also my first time like working on this medium, so um, I'm just trying to get used to it too. Do you have like an actual published release date, or what does the Kickstart need to be met in order for the novel to be published, graphic novel? So um, I structured my uh, story into six different acts. And in graphic novel form, even in film form, I named it as chapters. So this fundraiser is for chapter one. And chapter one, we're projecting to finish and and print it, and to be printed by January. So uh, once it's done, um, we send out everyone that like backed the project, whatever, whatever, when it's done. So our deadline right now for chapter one is January. Okay. And honestly, it might be pretty hard for us to read it because we're, we're our pace right now is six pages, maybe six pages a month. <laughs> I, I like it's, 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 it's pretty hard. We're, we're finding as we go, right, how hard it is. And we're just like, wow, with this pace, we'll just make um, January. And who knows what kind of like risk, what kind of like, um, like threats will come like, as we go. Uh, something might happen. It might like delays might happen, and then we might not be able to meet January. Gotcha. So, um, but yeah, it's it's exciting though. It's super exciting. It's such a fun project. Like, yeah. Are you doing anything on the side that's like a passion project? Aside from the podcast. Oh, I guess, yeah. I guess you're doing the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I, I'm interested for myself to see what happens in basketball season because I don't know if. So uh, we. Two hour practice, six days a week on game days. That's a four hour day. You could do two games a week from November 15th to like February 15th. You get a little break in Christmas. So I'm like in my head, I'm doing the time of can I still sit down and give, like, have conversations with random people, find random people, edit the pods, like all the extra shit. If all I had to do is just conversate and then like someone else edited sent out social media and i don't even know if i'm doing all that shit right but it's all i'm a i'm a, I'm a one-man team over here doing it all so the time right. um i'll be interested to see what happens with it do you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying but yeah coaching passion project for me uh because you don't make a ton of money coaching middle school basketball i'm sure your high school your friend who coaches high school basketball tells you the same thing yeah um but yeah i was uh i don't know man i think it's cool to stretch yourself the fact that you're getting into a medium that you're that you didn't think you were going to get into i think that's fun i think that's part of humanity i think that's what keeps you young what keeps your mind going is the fact that you challenge yourself and you risk being terrible you risk delays but then you learn right you overcome you get that resolve i i think that's i think it's cool when people do shit like that yeah, thanks, man. It's like it's it's nerve wracking sometimes, you know. You wake up and you're just like, "Fuck!" Because like, we we actually met our um, initial goal, so now we're aiming for our stretch goal, right? So when it was already nerve wracking when um we were like halfway there, and I was like, "Oh man, are we even gonna get like 
the actual full amount and what if we don't what's going to happen to our project and like i'm getting all these like, like paranoid thoughts and now that we actually met it i'm like wow it's for reals now we have to fucking do this by january or i'm gonna have to say i'm sorry maybe like february march like i don't know but um yeah but it's like that that excitement like it, it comes it comes like instantly right like i wake up i'm like oh my god I gotta make sure me and Dickie we finish this page by this like day because we have it all like mapped out. Uh, like I have to make sure this happens like for sure. And then like a minute later, I'm like, what am I worried about? We're like currently we're we're ahead of schedule, so I'm like, I know we're okay even if you miss like one 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 page from the month, you know. But that like that nervous excitement kind of hits me in the morning sometimes, or even like when I'm having a meeting with Dickie, I'm just like. Oh my god! Like, am I talking about the right things during this meeting? Like, am I wasting his time? He came all the way, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. Here, like, uh, but it's fun. It's like super, super fun. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's kind of cool to be a boss like that, right? To be creative control like that. To be the dictator. It it, it helps people understand why, like, they get drunk with power. Not that you're being drunk with power, but it <laughs> it's exciting to have something that you're trying to produce or make, man. It really is. It's neat. Oh yeah, it's a uh, it's an amazing feeling right now. Um, uh, it's a uh, so one one thing I I did like somewhat similar like to this was um like a few years back uh, when I graduated from school in New York uh, I I like produced uh, an exhibition like a contemporary photography exhibition and. Um, that was another thing where um, I gave my six, myself six months and I was like, hey, everybody, in six months, I'm going to produce a contemporary um, photography exhib- exhibition and there's going to be like, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be so fucking fancy. It's going to be whatever, whatever. And a lot of people just laughed at my face, you know, because I, and, you didn't own a camera. No, it's just because like, I had no fucking experience in doing <laughs> anything like that. And like, so I did a fundraiser. The fundraiser fucking flopped. Like I didn't like I made like a fraction of what I needed to make, and at that point I had to like kind of like and like a few of the artists that was part of the collective like just dropped out like midway. They're like, "Yo, I don't think you can do this." They just fucking like left me, and I was just like trying to produce this thing like by myself. I had to get a vendor space. I had to like negotiate with like vendors because I didn't have enough money. I went to, I didn't have enough money to make frames, I mean, to buy frames for the pieces, the art pieces. So I went to a lumber mill and I went to a lumber mill and I'm like trying to like get someone to talk to me in the lumber mill. And it comes out to be, it was a Korean man, <laughs> like this old like Korean man in Brooklyn, <laughs> like owns the lumber mill in Brooklyn for some reason. And he speaks Korean to me and I'm just like, oh my God. So this is my project. This is all I have. This I have like two hundred dollars left right now, and I have to somehow make frames for forty-inch pieces and for uh, seven. I have to make seven of them. Can you help me out? And he said, "Hey, just give me the two hundred. I'm gonna give you everything you need." So he helped me like make all the frames. Uh, yeah. So I ended up like I literally spent like. Like all the way up till um, the exhibition opening time, like um, working on the exhibition, like still painting and like putting like pieces up, 
ass like people were coming in and then, but then I finished <laughs> it you know I finished it and even the guy who dropped off from my uh, collective he actually came to the exhibition as well and he was like holy shit you fucking did it and I was like yeah man I fucking did it and it, it, I, I'm like mentally I feel like I'm in that zone right now except I'm much older but um, I feel like I'm in that same zone where I feel like there's some doubters. Honestly, for this graphic novel project, there's not many doubters. I think people who know me know that I can probably do this now. But I'm still in that zone where I was like insecure and like, yeah, like you know, yeah, I'm kind of like self motivated trying to self motivate myself to like just push through. And it's like, a great self motivator, man. When people doubt you and you overcome that, that shit fires you up. Like that's that's a core column <laughs> that that's like a, a that's your spine for the most part of just getting shit done i think maybe i'm super pessimistic but i feed off of that shit like i'll i'll think of people saying things and I, it fuels me and they'll be like yeah all right fucking laugh now or oh you thought i couldn't figured it out i don't, I don't know why maybe it's because i'm a dick maybe you're a dick <laughs> right? yeah but I, like, I, I i i get so much fuel off that too yeah yeah. yeah, it's hard for me to associate with people who are just naturally happy. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? For enjoyment. It's like, I do it so I can fuck someone up. And like, if they say something, it's like, no, I told you I could do it. And it's like, why do I have to go to that place to like get motivated? Why can't I just naturally enjoy the process? It's like, I don't know. It's just who I am. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it's a psych, it's like a psychology <laughs> thing, right? But it's it is it's an interesting thing to think about is like what motivates people and why it does. Yeah, so I gotta find basically I gotta find like a scapegoat person to be like, you thought I couldn't do this graphic novel by January, yeah. dude, didn't you? You're like an <laughs> Eminem. Eminem. Eminem feeds off of the people talking shit and all you need is a couple trolls. You know what yeah. I'll do? I, I won't, I'll tell you, but I won't. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'm going to make a couple burner accounts and for $3 a month, I will send you negative <laughs> tweets every day to motivate you. Dude, could that be a service? Like, can, like can we just be. think of some, like, yeah. hey, do you need motivation to get off your ass? Yeah. Hire us, and what we'll do is talk shit to you yeah. through social media, burner accounts. Yeah, motivation, um, motivationsocialmedia.com or something. <laughs> yeah, right? Get Every your bitch ass up, dot com. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, look ugly in this post. Is that true, girl? God, get a new one. <laughs> like, just keep, like, just nonstop, just hey, every morning. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a really good skit. Holy Dude, shit. That actually, I bet you that shit would take off because it would be like a weird personal trainer of people who just feed off of the fuck you. So many people feed off of. Yeah. Fuck you, I can do it. That oh dude, we might be onto something, man. No, that's that's actually a really funny like um this could be an actual like a business and yeah. an actual like it really could. SNL skit. Like a really funny SNL skit. Yeah, because you know like Kimmel does the like read your own mean tweets. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so like you almost have that like you can build from that where the dude's sitting there and the South Park guy actually did that. He was a troll, um, a foodie troll. And he got so fucking hard. I can't remember whose dad, the Jewish kid's dad, 
would go to his office and he just like got off on being this terrible food troll. And it was one oh, of the yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, that was so funny. stupidest <laughs> ass South Park yeah. episode ever. I forget. Like, I can't remember any of the details. I just remember the concept. And I'm like, but that shit motivates people to make better food. What yeah, if you just yeah. offered it to them? Yeah, true. Oh, yeah. Remember that South Park episode? That's a really good one. Yeah, God. I love it. I love I love that's part of too what I like about these podcasts is like every once in a while you can come up with like and we I've had them and maybe it's because you get late, you get giggly, I drink, so like whatever, I'm buzzed. And it's like that's a great fucking idea. But I feel like every once in a while, man, if you just sit down and have conversations with people, talk shit, like you can come up with some actual ideas where if you're passionate about it, you can then make mm-hmm. a living doing something you enjoy. Yeah. Like yeah that. that was just open-ended yeah. it wasn't really a question sorry um <laughs> no no i mean but people need to just say yeah i think people should just have fucking conversations with random people other human beings every day just like this yeah phones <laughs> dude i, I noticed <laughs> so the origin of the pod was like i was getting my oil changed and i looked around and there was 12 people and like nobody's talking there's a tv on and then everyone's on their phone and i'm like why doesn't anybody fucking like sit there? I feel like back in the day, people would have just struck up, hey, the weather, so humid today. And then like you just talk about shit. And mm-hmm. I was like, I, I don't know if we need to fight for that or not. If I can be the crusader to fight for that, if that's my hero's journey. Um, but it is. It's yeah. one of those things where like I feel like phones, people at those moments of silence, they want to like duck and hide, man, versus like look around and just oh, seek opportunity, connect. Yeah, you know what's um so one of the things um that I I, be, I came to came to like just uh, a step was like when I was in uh, I used to live in London as well, right? And um, holy shit, dude! Like English people have this like um etiquette thing, like they have this like etiquette, like social public etiquette thing, and like public. And, um, they shy away from confrontation and, um, like, so in the morning I would take like, like 5 AM, 4 AM, like 6 AM in the morning, like early in the morning, I'm taking the, the subway to work. Right. And it comes every two minutes. Yeah. Whatever. But it never gets completely full. And they, and, and it's because these fucking English people don't want to like cram in so they're like I'll right away for the next one but then you only get like maybe one or two people like entering these things when in New York you will just fucking squeeze in in Asia you just fucking squeeze in right <laughs> even if it comes every two minutes it doesn't fucking matter you're just fucking squeezing in so when I first moved there and I'm going to work I, I would like just jump into the subway and I was like guys fucking let's go in everyone's got to go to work Let's go in. There's space over there. You go over there. You sit. You stand there. And you over there. You go over there. We're going to have space. Let's go in. And, like, no one moves. No one talks back to me. And I was like, what's going on? And I'm just, like, standing with myself. <laughs> I'm like, a boss. I run this fucking platform. <laughs> no, no, no. I just felt, like, completely alienated because no one wanted to talk oh. to me. <laughs> uh, and I'm, like, and I squeezed in, right? Because I by the door, you know? And I'm... By the door, it's where it's like the last person like will get it, and then they thought it was gonna close, but I squeezed in. 
but there's still space for them to move in and stuff. That's why I was kind of like, hey, guys, just move over there. You go over there. We can all kind of be comfortable, but no one said anything, and we were all, like, squished in. And it's because I – I mean, this is still what I'm what, what I'm assuming. It's because these fucking people don't – don't like, it's like an etiquette thing, and they don't want to just, like, talk. It's, they think it's rude to talk like that to people, and, like, it's shied away. The only person in that scenario that talked back to me was a homeless man. And and it's because, like, I was so frustrated, I yelled, Jesus Christ, and he said, don't say the Lord's name in faith. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's like, I thought that was the funniest thing ever, so I just started laughing. But yeah, people just need to talk to each other. And that's one thing I love about New York, right? Like, if it's like, if you're in the subway, like, if I said that, everyone, like, people would have just said something back to me if they didn't like it. They'd be like, hey, go fuck off, like, whatever. Or they would have they agreed. They'd be like, yeah, he's right. Move. Yeah, right. We can all be comfortable. But in fucking this, these sophisticated fucking England, they don't want to talk. Stepping on toes. They don't want to fucking talk. No doubt. Dude, I'm so, you're a fucking jet setter, man. Why are you moving around so much? What are you running from? How many babies uh, do you have all around the world? Maybe you just need to adopt your own babies. Yeah, I'm, I'm running for myself, dude. That's what I'm running. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. I, I've been, uh, I grew up like moving around like since I was a kid, like every single year. So I think uh, that's what I'm blaming it on. I think I'm just used to moving every single year. Um, but Why did you have to move so much as a kid? Was it your dad's professorial job? Yeah, because my dad was uh, doing research for like different universities. So every year it was like a different university. And yeah, we moved around like every fucking year. Dude, that's why you're such a smart uh, ass then. Like, when you have to go into a new school at an, at a young age and you're trying to like find, make friends, find your niche. I think a lot of people do that whole, let me get a little bit of attention with these comments, right? You got to, you got to put on a little bit of a show to fit yeah, in. Yeah. For me, I think it was definitely like trying to be funny, like trying to be silly. That's, right. Cause you have to make friends like right away every single like every new school, right? And I was also like a, the smallest fucking kid, so especially within boys, like their in instinct comes in and then they just want to bully this new small boy. So my defense mechanism was like, you know, trying to win them by being funny. Um, and and then when I and then when we moved back to Korea, it was more real. Like people, like kids were just like fucking me up and shit. Like they're beating me up and shit. Cause in American schools, uh, kids were nicer, um, but in Korea, it was fucking rough. Like <laughs> they were just like, just punch me in the face. Like they would take me to like like rooms in the like the school, and they would try to like like gang beat me and shit. Um, but but like the thing is, I got used to it so fast because they they had no idea. Like every single year, I was changing schools like that, and I'm getting I knew bullies would come at me every single new school. So at that point, I was already used to it. Like, I was ready to scrap. Um, but, yeah, and I moved around a lot. And then, yeah, in the UK, too, I, I moved to England. Uh, I worked in London for a year and a half. And then afterwards, I, I, I came here. And, I mean, I want to stop moving around for sure. <laughs> like, and I think with COVID, I kind of just stopped, too, naturally. So. 
Dude. I'm gonna try to stop. I need, I need, a, I need a home. I need, a, I need a girl. I'm, I'm gonna. If any ladies are in Toronto listening to this thing, you know, if you want a Korean man, hit me up. <laughs> um, I'm looking for kids. I don't, I don't know if she would want. I've actually had a couple of people um, from Toronto, an artist. He got off of Instagram. I don't know what happened to him. Oh, speaking of basketball, dude, he fucking Matt Barnes. Are you familiar oh, with Matt Barnes? Yeah, man, Matt Barnes. Yeah. yeah. So Matt Barnes brought him out to California because uh, his name's Paul, but he goes by Smartist. S-U-M-A-R-T-I-S-T. Um, he does all sorts of dope-ass art, apparently all over Toronto. And well, Matt Barnes flew that. him out, and he made this, like... I mean, it, was, it had to be fucking 10 feet tall, dude, of Tupac, Kobe, and Nipsey with a Californian mm-hmm. background. Um, might have been spray-painted. I'm not sure how he did it. But it was one of the last things he posted, and then my man's just off social media. But Paul from Toronto has been on, but girl-wise, Malik, I always fuck her name up. I will because I'm drunk. She's amazing. Uh, If you look through my Instagram, you'll find her episode 109. Melitza, because it rhymes with pizza. Um, And she's a black and white. That's how she explained it to me. And I just kept fucking it up all podcasts the more I drank. (laughs) Um, But she's a black and white uh, photographer. Wow. Like, just, just artsy, dope as hell. The two people from Toronto that I've had on the pod, man, you're the third. You three motherfuckers are just so creative up there. It, it's cool that, I don't know, you get this weird ass, I'm in Southern Delaware, and you, I don't know if I know, but I know people in Toronto, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's interesting, because the way that both of them describe Toronto, it's a nice city, but it's like a small city where you tend to know a lot of the people around there, around the city. Yeah, I know it's- like Toronto sucks, dude. Does it really? <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just talking shit. But uh, uh, Toronto is like, yeah, it's not like a big, big city. It's like the biggest city in Canada. It's, it's, I think it's the third, fourth biggest city in North America. But that's another thing about like North America, right? Like it's like it's a new world compared to like, like Europe, or like even like places in Asia. Because like Seoul is a mega city. It's huge there. Um, L- London is a mega city. It's it's ginormous, and then New York is, I guess, like the biggest city too in um in in America. But also, like compared to like London or anything, it's actually not that big. And New York is huge too, and it's way bigger than Toronto. Right. So when pe- like Canadians here, um, especially like the Toronto guys that are born and raised in Toronto, who haven't been to like New York or like all these like other like great like the world's greatest cities. They have this like Toronto ego, and, just, and I'm just like, man, gosh, you have no uh, fucking idea about gotcha, the world, dude. Gotcha, <laughs> like, gotcha. Get that, get that ego check. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> but uh, no, but I mean, that said, I love like. There's a reason why I came back because I, I do like, I, I like, um, I like Toronto here a lot, and Toronto's got the hottest girls, in my opinion, from all the cities I've been to. So there you go, props. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and uh, yeah, and like, it's just like a, it's just like a nice, it's like a nice city. It's got, it's got everything you need. Um, it's, uh, got nice people. It's got really nice people. Canadians are just like, like the sweetest people in the world, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Toronto's cool. You, you, you got, you going to come to Toronto at all? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'd actually thought about, but then with COVID and the fucking Delta variant, I'm like, I heard when you yeah, go to too. Canada, man, you got to like sit up somewhere for fucking 
two yeah. weeks international travel and then coming back, I'm like, I don't want to get caught somewhere, dude. Yeah, no, I'm not going to travel for a while. Like, I just, sucks. like, I love traveling, and I'm, and this, and I'm just like, no, I'm, I'm just not going to travel. Yeah, like, it, it's, it's, it's weird. Um, I don't know if it, it's my American ego. Like, who the fuck are you to tell me when you're supposed to be whatever, um, socially conscious about spreading a virus? Like, you, that that's a real thing. I've seen enough movies where a monkey spits in your face and all of a sudden the entire world ends, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to be a an epicenter but at the same time i'm like uh, i should be able to go to another country if i want to and it not make me feel weird but that's a whole nother side thing how yeah come, how come you're not living in south korea in seoul well so before the pandemic happened uh i was actually gonna go to uh seoul um i was gonna do like an asia tour and just like uh, kind of work work in asia for like six months and then returned to Toronto because I had just quit my job uh, in January and I was going to fly out to Seoul and work with some studios there that I've, I, that I've known uh, for, for a while. So I had some like work lined up there and I was going to go and then uh, my flight got blocked because of COVID. So uh, yeah, and then like I came back to Toronto. So I was just like, okay, um, I just kind of like kicked the shit. I just like was like playing around. Like I felt like I was back in high school, <laughs> just like biking around the like an empty city and like just taking photographs and like just like spending a lot of time with your by yourself too, right? Because like there's just like me and my roommates, I guess. And um, yeah, and then like the whole graphic novel thing happened, so it was kind of like a, a blessing in disguise too. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I really want to go back to Seoul because Seoul is fucking so amazing and like it's like a source of inspiration too. And the food. If you like Korean food, it's just like next level there. So it's yeah, so good. I, I can't even comment and I, I don't know if, again, it's a stupid ass question to try to help me understand like why it's so inspiring. Um, I think it's, for me, it's always like my roots because uh, as, as like Americanized I I am like right now at the root of it like I'm I'm really just a fucking Korean kid that was born and raised there that had the opportunity to to live in like United States and Canada you know and I I had like identity crisis like multiple ones like growing up when I was in America I thought I was like an American kid and then I went back to Korea and then I realized oh well no this is where I'm actually from and then when I was in Canada, and then I went to university, and then I became a naturalized Canadian, I thought I was Canadian. While people here, as nice as, here's another thing about like Canadians, as nice as everyone here is, there's so much, there's racist people everywhere, no matter where you go, right? That's just what it is. So like people here will like say, hey, where are you from? And I'll be like, oh man, I'm Canadian. And then these, <laughs> you know, like, I don't want to like stereotype it, but like usually it's, it'll be like white Canadians be like, no, you're not Canadian. And then it makes me, it made me question myself. Like, and I'm in that university. I'm like, oh fuck, maybe I'm not Canadian. Right. And then I realized, you know what, at the end of the day, and I kind of just accepted that too. As sad as that may sound, I was like, you know what? I identify myself as a Korean man at the end of the day. At the core of it, that's who I am because I was born and raised there. And I, like, you know, uh, I am a naturalized uh, Canadian passport holder, 
and I I have had great up great like experiences with my friends and everything, it's like accepting me as their Canadian brother or like whatever. But I also had like just terrible ones where I just don't even want to like like uh, you know be associated. It just crushed me. Right? Be associated with it. Yeah, and and now that I'm like older. I, like in my thirties, I kind of like got it because even when I was living in London, I was uh, I was thirty and thirty one. No, I was twenty nine to like 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 thirty one, and um, then too, like, I think I was I would tell people, yeah, I'm Korean Canadian, but now I just tell them, yeah, no, I'm Korean, but I have a Canadian passport because I'm just like I, I just I'm just kind of getting like so sick, and like, I think it's also just getting old and just getting sick of it. I think when you're younger, you have the energy to be like, oh, no, I'm technically, I'm a Canadian passport holder, so I'm Canadian. I, grew up here. I also grew up in the States. But it, none of that matters to, like, the worst of the worst person who doesn't, who just see you as, like, a yellow, like, like dude. Like, hey, so where are you from? Which Asian country are you from? That's all they want to hear. And... To me, like I'm getting too old to like even like like say anything, and I'm just gonna say, yeah, no, I'm Korean. Because if I do meet up meet that person, they're gonna be like, oh, okay, that's cool. And then if they want to know more about how I, I I speak above average English and like whatever, they'll be like, oh, it's because I actually, you know, I immigrated when I was five and I grew up in the states, and then like become a natural Canadian. Then the backstory can happen. But. Um, yeah, I don't even know how this conversation came to this. Yeah, but. well, it uh, it started with like you just moving around, but it's something I was kind of curious about. Not like the racial component, but just the identity when you've named four countries and so many people. Like part of your resolve, part of your strength is you can associate with something, right? And that's yeah. why I was curious about why you're not living in Seoul because I was wondering. You being this nomad, do you have this like yearning to find yeah, yeah. the home, That's... and would it identify more with Seoul because you had spoken about it as such like a mega awesome city? Yeah, yeah. That's why. It, yeah, that's how this thing came up, right? So, motivation wise, <laughs> yeah, um, it's always been like that for me. So, like every time I have a hard like like a hardship, or even if I'm doing a physical like feat, because I. Like, my knees are fucked now, so I can't run anymore, but I used to run quite a bit. But I do half a marathon, so I run like, long distance. I cycle a lot, too, but I can't really anymore. So whenever I hit that, like, mental wall, one of my mantras has always been, um, I made it this far from Korea. So I always had this, like, huge pride in me. I'm just a fucking kid from, like, like this neighborhood in Seoul. I'm just like I'm one of these other kids there, but I happen to be here now. I had the opportunity to grow up all these other places, and one day I'm gonna go back there. And like you know, I'm gonna I'm because my my parents got pushed out of like Seoul, so they can't really live in the same neighborhood anymore. So one of my goals is to like um, to be successful enough to get back to that same neighborhood because I love that neighborhood. I don't know if my parents even like it anymore, but that's always been my motivation. Where like I'm gonna make it back home. And um, I'm gonna push through this, and that's why like I love going back to Seoul. Like it, it humbles me. Like as soon as the airplane like lands, I know I'm home, and I and I rarely go back to Korea. You know, I go there every like five years, but every time I go back, I'm just like I'm with my people. This is like my food. I love it. Um, 
Yeah, and the thing is, funny thing is, Korean people don't even like me. <laughs> Korean people in Korea or Korean people that you've encountered in other countries? Oh, in general, both ways. <laughs> Korean people in Korea don't like me. Korean people, uh, westernized Korean people don't like me either. Is it but I, I like... Like, because you just have, like, an American sense of humor where you're a smartass and that somehow culturally fucks with them? Yeah, I think so. I think maybe that's one of, um, yeah, I think maybe that's one of the reasons. Um, uh, even university, for example, I, I was in the Korean, like, student, like, association. But really, I, I, like, I had no friends there, you know? Like, I was friends with, like, everybody. Like, I had, like, white friends. I had, like, like black friends, like, brown friends, like, like everything. So I, I, and even though I was a member, I never, they never really like, you know, I never felt like they were friendly to me and I never made any like Korean friends there, in, like in university. I guess I made like maybe one or two. And then even in Korea, when I go there and I have, and I meet my old like elementary school friends and whatever, it's just very, very hard to like relate like to them. Uh, I don't think they really understand. They think every time like they hear what I'm doing, they always say, say like I'm immature, like because uh, it's just like a, for them it's completely just like culturally just different, right? Like the way I'm living my life, because I should be married with kids by now. Okay. Like in in, in East Eastern Asian like culture and stuff, so they just don't understand what's going on with me right now. <laughs> they, like oh, every time like they hear about me, they're like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what is that guy doing? <laughs> He's out of Dude. his mind." Do you get that uh, kind of pressure from your parents too? Or are no, they no, pretty accepting? All. It seemed because the story you said about your dad being like, what the fuck, med school? I thought you would be a film person. Oh, like, yeah, I think no. that's pretty awesome that they almost seem counterculture. Yeah, no, both my parents are like scholars and uh, I grew up like completely opposite of every other, like the whole like stereotypical Asian like parent thing. I had, like, no fucking curfew. Like, I would, like, run around the streets, like, late at night. i come back home, like, like super late. Um, like, uh, my my mom would ask me if they, if, like, because, you know, in high school, middle school, like, she knew people, kids were drinking and stuff, but she was just like, hey, like, do you want me to go buy you some beers and, like, show, like, <laughs> like do stuff like that? Um yeah, no, my my parents were like very very hands off of me, um, and I think it was because like at least to them they thought it, it was they thought it was the right thing to do. But I, I definitely feel like I needed a little bit of structure. But I was so fucking hands. I was a wild fucking kid. <laughs> like, I was doing like bad shit, like like breaking the law and shit, like just going roaming around the street. I got into a lot of like trouble, and like I at, at one point um, the cops came and. That's when I realized, like, I gotta stop. And what did the cops come for? Just like me and my buddy, um, we were running around like neighborhood, just like doing dumb shit. Like we uh, we stole fire extinguisher from a library, <laughs> and then um, we went to. I don't know why we thought it was a good idea. We went to the athletic center, and obviously the the guys who work there are gonna be athletes. And we, like, thought it would be funny to, like, spray them with the fire extinguisher. And we did that. And then, obviously, like, we hit the wrong office. And they're all fucking just, like, track runners. <laughs> 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 yeah. And we, 
we're like running and we see that like behind us these full grown adults like like in track outfits just, right. just warmed <laughs> just up too. Like they're yeah. warmed up and they're like, This is this is why I train. <laughs> yeah. And then they call the cops and then the cops come and then um yeah, and then uh yeah, they came to my house. Uh I mean that wasn't the last time, but like 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 stuff like that, like And what were your parents' like reactions? So your parents give you this freedom and you go around, steal a fire extinguisher, <laughs> spray up a fucking track class. What do your parents react with to? So like, um, I got into like, I guess like I, I got like arrested like twice in my life. And both times my parents' reactions were like super chill, like super chill. Like, um, I think the first time with the, the fire extinguisher, that was like, Maybe like grade twelve, maybe senior year, or maybe it was grade eleven. Dude, I was picturing you as like a seventh grader. I have so oh, much God. less respect for you now. You did that <laughs> shit at eighteen. Yeah, no, I did it in grade eleven, I think, or grade twelve. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, it was grade eleven, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, yeah. So uh, at that point, my mom was just like, I don't know. She didn't really say anything. Like, she, we just had dinner. We just kind of like like joked around about it and how dumb it was, how dumb I was. And then, um, cause that's, that's, what, that's what they usually just say. It's like, wow, you're so fucking dumb. Like, do you know how dumb you are? Like, just think about what you just did. And then I'm like, wow, yeah, I am really dumb. And then we had dinner. And the second time was when like, I was in Korea and like, I was so fucking dumb. Like I sent, I asked my friend to send me like, like an ace of weed to Korea where it's like like class A drug it's like completely illegal and uh where was so he like, sending it from like mail yeah from Vancouver oh. and obviously it's, and like and my my buddy's a huge donor so he didn't even hide it he puts the fucking Monopoly like the manual Monopoly manual over the weed on one side so on the other side it's completely exposed <laughs> <laughs> So I asked my stoner friend to like send me weed when I'm in fucking Korea. Um, <laughs> Monopoly again, manual. Can I just know like why a Monopoly manual? I don't know. I just asked him to like hide it, and he thought. I guess he thought that I was like. I, I guess he thought that was um, a disguise. A disguise, I, and I he know. just puts that shit in a letter, like an envelope. Yeah. Is like here's your Monopoly yeah. manual. Yeah, and 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 on the other side. Clear as day, a nug of weed. <laughs> so like, I got arrested, and then Korea took a huge deal. So like, yeah, I had like fucking like undercover cops like coming out and like stuff. My dad had to like like. Wait, can I can I know how the arrest happened? Do they does it get confiscated like by the government? Then the cops just come and say, "Hey, we got this letter." Is it a sting operation where they watch you go to your mailbox, and as soon yeah, as you yeah. open it, SWAT team comes down? Yeah, it is a sting operation. So what they do is, um, they know by, basically right away that weed is in this envelope. It's so fucking clear as day, right? So what they do is, they, op they open up a small hole on one side, and then they have a camera that goes in, and then they double check that there is, in fact, like narcotics in there. And then now, they have to make sure that it came, that I'm the owner of it. So they, they dress up as a FedEx guy or like whatever, I can't even remember, like a, yeah. So you're a typical like delivery guy. And then he comes to my door and then he's like, Hey, do you is this yours? Is this your name? Is this yours? Do you accept this? Sign this package. 
and I sign it, and then right away, he grabs my like wrist, and then these fucking undercover cops come out from nowhere. Like they're they've been hiding in the fucking behind the poles and shit. For an they eighth come of in. weed, that's so For much resource, man. Yeah, yeah. So the only reason I got out was because I pleaded guilty out of ignorance, and that it was it was less than an eighth of weed because once it goes over an eighth, then it becomes an amount of amount that you can sell. Then that becomes like you're a drug dealer. So I was Holy so lucky shit. that he actually <clears throat> sent me like a little bit less than an eight. Yeah. And um, he skimmed they, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He skimmed me, and like it, it was the only reason why like I pleaded ignorance and I had to do like eighty hours of like rehab and like a drug rehab center, which was fucking hilarious for all the other like heroin addicts that are there. That I was there for fucking weed and and ate of weed. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but anyways, even after that, my like Damn. my dad like picked me up at the fucking prosecutor's office, and he was just like, "Fuck, you're dumb. What do you want for What do you want for dinner?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know. You want some steak? Let's go. Let's go to the grocery store. Get Let's go to the butcher. Let's go get some steak, and then you make it yourself. Fuck, you're dumb." And then I'm like, "Yeah, I'm really sorry." <laughs> and then and then we made some steak. Um, and then the whole time I'm making steak, my mom and my dad are like just like taunting me. They're like, "Fuck!" You're like, "What are you like? Why are you so dumb?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh no, guys, leave me alone! I'm just gonna make this steak." <laughs> but um, he was genuinely pissed off. I could tell like my dad was trying to make it like light, which I really appreciate to think of it now because uh, man, what a terrible thing to see. Your fucking failure son getting arrested for weed and for a couple fucking uh, drugs. God. Yeah, yeah. Now you're watching him like trying to trying to like cook steak for himself while you and your wife is just talking shit to him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, my dad and my parents. I mean, my my both my parents are very like easy. I mean, even like right now, they're like so fucking like. Um, yeah, they're so like like laid back. Um, That's what nice, about you? Man. Like no, well, what I'm thinking about me, my mom. I do. I want to get into my mom. That being like another twenty fucking minutes, the shit I went through. Um, with yeah. my mom. And part of not not to be rude to you, but part of what I try to do also on the pod is like if I spoke about myself too often, I like I hadn't gone mm. on like the teacher rant in a while so i don't mind doing yeah, that yeah. but like i do try to not i don't know ain't nobody fucking listening to hear me tell my story about my mom like 12 times <laughs> if that makes sense right right yeah but, i got it I got you it. know i don't know my dad dipped when i was 10 my mom uh not super supportive she's going through some dementia i found out how fucked up medicaid is in america which makes me want to run for some sort of office to be like we need to be better this shit mm-hmm. should not be happening having gone through what they tried to do to me, to a woman who has no fucking assets. She's poor as hell. And the difficulties, she's poor as hell, demented, walking around streets, trying to find liquor stores that are a quarter mile from her house. I'm getting called from work to like pick her up because she's fucking passing out. And you're like, maybe we should make it easier for her to get help and be sober and not mm-hmm. have it be cumbersome. Um, but yeah, that, that's my home situation. Fuck, I'm parents. sorry to hear that, man. No, it's, uh, it, that's tough. it, it, I look at it more like inconvenient than tough, but probably if I meditated more, it would be tough if I like stewed in it. I don't think I've 
let it really set in. I think I'm very surface level with it myself. Right. You're being more realistic about it, I guess? I... Pragmatic. I just look at it as what's the fucking objective? What's the obstacle? Got it. You yeah, know, yeah. like how do we handle this? I was thinking for someone like you though, man, it's awesome that your parents are so – even though they fuck with you, it, it's cool that you – really. it seems like you really feel like they're supportive identity wise moving around wise always having to like fit in wise it's it seems very nice to have that kind of um cornerstone biblical biblically speaking <laughs> in your life uh, yeah you know um it's it's funny because i they've even though they never like set out like a structure for my for me since i was a kid uh, I always knew they were really supportive of me, like whatever I did. Yeah. And at the end of the day, like I, I never like you know when you're a kid and your dad and your mom they're like scholars, you don't really know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> like, so no, you really don't, right? Like, yeah. I mean, you, you got their parents. Yeah. Oh, they and fucking then, read a lot and they talk about shit. Great, they're yeah. boring as hell. Might as well be on the news. <laughs> yeah. So like, I had no idea what that really meant until like I was in university, and then in university, like um, I remember one of my like closest friends, uh, he he would tell me like how, because I asked him, I was like, man, how do you do university, dude? Like I'm like struggling, like I don't really know what the fuck I'm doing, I don't even know if this is what I want to do, and he says, look around you and look how many fucking corny ass like kids there are. And how much like smarter you are compared to them. And if you if you make these kids succeed over you, that's on you. And, and that was his motivation. And then I was like, for me, I was like, I, I kind of see where it's going. And I was like, but how I interpret interpreted that was that, oh, okay, you know what? Like, let's try to compare compare um, myself to other people. Maybe maybe even if it's an unfair way. But for me, it's like a self motiv motiv. It's, it's self-motivating yeah. and what i thought of, thought of was like oh both my parents are you know they're fairly above like above average intelligent like people they're like scholars they, they're teaching other people so um if they can do it i'm probably like smart too i'm if i'm their kid i'm probably like a little bit smarter just yeah, right? a little bit smarter than me they spend some time uh, explaining shit to me <laughs> yeah so like that that was always kind of a motivation too i think like i'm just like okay i I'm probably smart, I think. Like, it would only make sense. I'm a little bit smart. So, like, that was, like, my way, I think, of how I interpreted that. And, like, um, uh, Dude, that was always, like, a motivation. You just said the first tweet for our company of whatever it is, getyourbitchassup.com or whatever the name is. We'll figure it out. But it was, like, the tweet <laughs> needs to be, look at all the corny motherfuckers around you, dot, 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 dot. You yeah. don't let them be better than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the dude Kevin. He's uh, that's that's what he used to tell me when he was in university. Yeah. When we were in university, man, it really, it's uh, funny, man. It, I don't know why that humanistic shit just it intrigues me so much, but like the way in the means by which people are motivated are so just so fucking interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, like. <laughs> Yeah, it, it didn't motivate me like that, but like <laughs> it, 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 it came into a different like way to me. I think, yeah. um, 
watershed yeah, uh, watershed moment am i using the no, term right no, uh, no? not a watershed no, not moment where you like your yeah. eyes or oh, okay <laughs> no no but um <laughs> shot in the dark it was the one word i knew is it a trope that's the other word i know <laughs> a trope that's a good word haven't heard that in a while yeah we uh i forget why that came my actually i do know why my daughter has been having a she has these weird nightmares. It might be my fault. I got her into like dystopian um, dystopian novels. She's going into sixth oh, right. grade. So like you read Animal Farm, you read The Giver. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, dude, you pull away lessons about how human behavior, what is the right kind of government? What kind of rights should people have? Yeah. What is it? So it, it kind of mind fucks her, man. And she was into Maze Runner and um, Hunger Games. So she has these nightmares about like the world's going to end. These dystopian societies are going to happen when I wake up and it really, really fucks with her, man. So what I've tried to explain to her is why I know the word trope, which I hope I'm using right, is like, these are just common things. There always has to be this like dictator thing. It's a trope. What do you mean it's a trope? Every fucking story about dystopian societies has a trope. In America, like America doesn't allow tropes or allow dictators. That's why Trump didn't get elected again. You know, and like you try to like rationalize that shit to her and help it be compartmentalized. And I think that's why that um, word came up. That That's why it's in my vernacular. You know, um, George Orwell is one of my favorite writers. And when I first read uh, 1987 in high school, it literally like blew my mind. Like I was so fucking scared. Dude, it's... Like, if you, Such an intense story. <laughs> and once you start thinking about how easy it would be to then manipulate, like even the fact that we have like whatever, five news sources in America, who knows if they're all just because like Orwell would be like, there's one. And everybody's like, oh, we can't have one. Why can't all five be doing the same thing and have some yeah. sort of puppet master? You know, like when you really start thinking about the control of knowledge. It yeah. does get scary, man. I, I remember um, literally right after I finished it, I called my dad and I was like, yeah, I just finished 1984 and I'm getting like, I'm like genuinely frightened. I've never been like so scared in my life because I was, I was having like existential like, like moments like about like society and like, like who, who am I in society? Yeah. Am I like part of this like, the crazy like conspiracy and everything and um and then my i think my dad's also just like kind of like happy go lucky just like yeah it's just what it is man um yeah like pretty much if you if you turn on the tv that's the ministry of truth that's the media and it's just what it is um have fun at school <laughs> i'm just like oh my god <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, I understand where your daughter's coming from. It's a, it's, it's really George Orwell, really, really frightening. Um, I, I think it was Animal Farm. It was more of like that, like, um, like fascist, like society, like structure, I guess. Right. Yeah, so I can't label it when people go like fascist versus socialist and you, it's almost like, oh, yeah, it's yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. religions where you're like, oh, I'm Presbyterian. Oh, I'm a Protestant. Mm -hmm. And you're like, there's a fucking difference. Is, is it like a diet thing? What 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 does it matter? So when you say like fascist, socialist, communist, I'm like, are, are there differences? I don't know the nuances, but yeah, it was basically yeah. 
to me, it was hypocrisy. The thing I took out of it is you let motherfuckers in power. They're going to manipulate you so they keep their power. And the shit they are making you believe in, they don't believe in. Don't fucking trust them. Like that, that was my biggest message. And I don't think I cursed as much when I taught it to my daughter. But like these, these are the things, these are the conversations I have with my 11 year old after making her read animal farm. And I even had her like bust out essays to work on her organization and structure. This is what like, I do. She's going to be a really small child. Cause that's a, that's an advanced like concept to understand when you say you're grade six. Or she can't sleep and she's going to be in a psychiatric ward. Cause I've scarred her. Well, I mean, I think, um, <laughs> Just do the whole, like, my dad thing. It's like, yeah, no, that's just what it is. Uh, good night, honey. <laughs> right? <laughs> have, fun at, have fun at school tomorrow. Don't pull the other kids because that, uh, their parents are going to get angry at me. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just for you to know that all this knowledge, you to deal with right now. <laughs> no doubt. Knowledge is suffering. Enjoy. Yeah. That is, uh, that's something, I don't know. That was another saying that, like, woke me the fuck up. It's like. I, some one of the college professors I had said that shit and um I was like it didn't make any sense like dude why wouldn't you want to be smart you can manipulate you can advance you can be a capitalist you're going to be successful and then it's like wait but the more you know the more you're like trapped imprisoned it's heavy yeah. this knowledge and you feel this guilt and like what do you do and then you're all you're doing is thinking about it, and it's like, dude, that's fucking suffering, man. Like the happy-go-luckiness of, why don't you just go enjoy the beach? You're like, yeah, yeah that would be way nicer. Yeah, I think that's like, yeah, I think that's one of the most important things, like, because I, there, um, even if you know a lot about like how like the site actually works, and like who knows, like like conspiracy theories and like whatever, whatever, all these like. Um, yeah, Reddit rabbit holes with fucking yeah. skull and bones and gatekeepers. Yeah, at the end of the day, like, just what's wrong with just, just you know, just getting a job, having a good life, and then just fucking going to the beach and you know, raising your kid and like just living life. Because I think that's at the end of the day, like, even after, yeah, you should tell your your daughter to to read on nineteen eighty four as well. Just so that settles in very long. Yeah, the world is like this, but it's all good. Just, you know, get married, go to school, get a Still good function. job, enjoy life. I mean, look at yeah. all the non-protagonists. They were way happy. Just accept yeah. it. Take the pill. Yeah, exactly. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, movie tonight, Matrix. Let's dive into that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just all the, yeah, the hard-hitting movies in life. Like, no, 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 we're not going to focus on the Kung Fu going on right now. Are you picking up the theme? Yeah. Manipulation of you are a battery. You're destined to be farmed. Oh, man. For someone who still believes in Santa Claus. Like, that shit is as real as the Tooth Fairy, man. Yeah. I was actually just listening to this podcast um, earlier today. It's uh, a stand-up comedian, um, Chris Stefano. And he, uh, in his thing, he talks about, like, the Boston Robotics um, uh, video. The so fake like, videos uh, or the real ones? It's, I, I'm not really, I don't really know. Because I'm, I'm just going off from this uh, podcast. 
I don't really know if it was the real one or the fake one. So there's like, like two, the dog that can do all this shit, but then they also put like a person in the robot like suit and they beat the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it just like keeps getting up and they pretend to oh, shoot yeah, it. Yeah, you know what I'm too. saying? Yeah, like, yeah. And I, I can never tell the difference because there's some like real AI robotics from the Boston Institute of like, they're going to take over the world. And then it's like, yeah, wait, yeah. all that shit was fake. It was a midget. You know, it was a person. Yeah, so there's like a, the video that they showed in that podcast was um, like how they use robots now to do like surgery, like very intricate like surgery where you 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 need like very like steady and like small like 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 fingers and like stuff like that. So they use like um, they use robots, and then even for like underwater like pipe pipeline like fixing and stuff, they use like snake robots. So he it's it's basically about like what. Boston Robotics is like kind of planning for the future, right? And then Elon Musk is there and like talking about it. And one of the things he says is like, basically all this like robot revolution is going to lead into like automation of daily life. And that's going to accomplish like a basic universal income. And then what that's going to do for human beings is like, we're going to just be able to like live. But then the big question is, What's the point? If robots are automating everything in our lives, everything is taken care of. Well, they're then slaves. What's man. the point? No, well, well, well. The the point would be self fulfillment to let your spirit guide you. The interesting part to me that where I get caught up is we have all these activists and these rights rights groups. Why are we cool with enslaving robots? Yeah, I. They're, I mean, I don't really even know what's going on with this whole robot thing. <laughs> like, like, it's just when I saw it, and then they're they're actually just talking about like what Elon Musk was saying again, like the philosophical. Dude, it's true, man. The fucking that. truck drivers delivery. I, I I've seen I've had people that tell me like they order room service and a fucking robot delivers the food. Domino's is selfless driver. Oh yeah, they do that here Dude, too. Do you know what like, I'm saying? When you like walk down the street, yeah, you see like a robot delivery, um, a car. Just like going by the sidewalk. Yeah. And it's like a robot delivery guy. Dude, they're yeah. fucking slaves. They're not getting paid. They're created. Why do we have the right to control them? And we want to give them intelligence? Well, if we give them intelligence, what does that mean? Are we like allowing them to fulfill their own desires or do we control them? It's a really weird – if you try to expound upon it, it's a really so, weird like moralistic place to be. So um, what um, they were getting at was that it's it's to once they get the intelligence, it's to basically just replace us, where humans are no more, and they're the force of intelligence now. And then now they have these like exoskeleton like yeah. bodies where they can like survive in like crazier environments, whatever, whatever. Terminator. So they're yeah, Terminator style. So like I mean, also if this is Chris Stefano, a fucking stand up comedian, just. Just interpreting that Boston Robotics thing and what Elon Musk talked about, right? So he's like, oh my god, the robots are going to replace us. And then but the, his, his response is like, fuck it, though. I'm, like, hopefully, like, they like some comedy. They want some comedy. I'll do some shows for these robots. Just let me live among you. I'll do some shows. <laughs> and then, like, whatever. And, uh, I mean, it's obviously all a joke. But, um, it, yeah, it kind of makes you think, like, um, uh, and, and another funny thing is my roommate is an AI guy. He does AI. Oh, no shit. <laughs> yeah. 
there's so much money in it. It's like crazy, like the AI bubble right now. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, and that's why I I do think like um I don't think it, it'll probably I don't think it'll happen. I don't think us we don't have to worry about it. But really, like the next generation and everything, like the next few generations, AI and robot robotics is going to be the big thing for them. I'm glad I'm gonna be old and like just done. You're fine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm okay to die if the yeah. robots came at that point. Like, yeah, fuck you guys. You want to joke? I don't know. Pour me another, roll me another. It's over. Whatever. Yeah. I had a good run. But, Dude, yeah, that, but, the, the AI field, that, that's one of those things where people are like, there's so much money. I'm like, talk about what NBA players do for eight hours of their life. What do you fucking do for eight hours of your life as an AI guy? Are you sitting there coding, trying to crack an algorithm formula? Are you like hard welding, like engineering to take some sort of code and make it applicable? Yeah, so I think it's, um, I think there's like, I, don't, I honestly don't, I'm just going to paraphrase because I don't really understand. They're just like, you know, smart kids and like whatever, right? So let's just leave it at that. But, Dude, um, I don't think they do shit. Uh, That's what I'm saying. I think they're so smart. They've conned all of us to make us think they're doing work. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the emperor's clothing, right? The emperor's wearing no clothes. And it's like, no, no, no. He has the finest linen. They go in these like labs and they're just doing shit. And every once in a while, something comes out and their bosses are completely fine with continuing to pay them. Yeah. So there's like the guys um, <laughs> who come up with like the, what the, the code should be, like the algorithm should be, right? Like, I think the, 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 the best example would be like, like the self-driving cars. If a car comes to the corner of the stop, there's multiple scenarios ahead of it. Yeah. Like the, the light could be green, yellow, or like red. There could be a car on the right side, a car across from it. Yeah. Like there could be a How do you know the difference by. between a leaf and a baby? Yeah, so you, you try to put as many like variables within this one like, um, like algorithm, like one code. In that particular scenario, and then you have all these fucking nerds trying to go like my coach for all these possibilities, and right. then it's the AI's job to choose which one is the most applicable, like the right one. Yeah, but honestly, I don't, I don't fucking know what's going on. That's yeah, dude, That's it's 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 just trippy as hell when smart ass people just keep getting paid and like you can't really check them because they're so fucking smart and they can use all yeah. these words and you're overwhelmed. And you're yeah, a yeah. middle-aged dude, and you're like, all right, yeah, I guess I, I made a website once, and now I'm in charge of this sector, and I have no idea what the fuck y'all are doing all day. See you in a month. Yeah. Whenever his colleagues come over, I just have like a glass of wine from my hand. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys, that's cool. <laughs> just like... Nothing to add. Nothing to add. Yeah. yeah. Fuck. You guys are smart. That's cool, man. You guys make <laughs> so much money. It's great. Do you high five? I high five. What's yeah. high five? I want to celebrate you. Just, just make sure you guys tell the AIs and the robots in the future that my family and my offspring are safe. That's all I want. Okay? Dude, that's like what that. it'll be. It's like you're gonna have to know someone, and you're gonna pay them whatever thirty-eight Bitcoin to like throw your face recognition into the algorithm to not be overtaken or to allow yeah. you on the spaceship. That type of shit's going to happen. Yeah, man. That's, that's what it's 
that's why like I'm gonna cherish my friendship with my roommate right now. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> All right, oh, man. dude, David, let's end on this, man. Yeah, um, yeah, sounds good. Let's do, um, I don't know if you know how the pod ends, but what I'd like you to do is think of a little story, an experience of yours. Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last. Sponsored by Abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. Best first for last. Oh man, it's a hard question. Is it something like where people just know right away? Uh, not many. I post. You would have had you looked at my Instagram because I just posted a warning to future guests about this. Oh fuck! I should have done my research, man. Dude, and I actually put up like a compilation of some of the cooler best first for lasts because everyone's caught off guard by it because I put it at the yeah. end of the podcast. Um, but it's one of the sicker things I enjoy, which is where people mind, where people's minds go when I'm just like, Hey, it's the last thing people are listening. will get to know about you. And I think first experiences are really cool. So something that's a cool first you went through for the last thing people get to know. Does it, does it, um, have to be something that I've done? Wait, wait, what? what, It can honestly be honestly, dude, it's. Whatever the fuck you want to be. It's your podcast. I'm just talking to you. Oh, sorry. sorry. I, I, think, I don't think I quite understood the question clearly. So it's best first for last. Is it like for something that you want to try, but it's the last time you're going to try it? Is that what it is? Oh, not in my head, but we could talk about that. Oh, I, sorry. I thought that was... That was uh, I thought that was what you meant. I was like, oh, fuck. That's really hard. What, is, yeah. what could that be? Like, I, do, I, I look at it. It's getting to know you, Pod. When you mm-hmm. get to know someone, you get to know all about their first experiences. Okay. So my first experience, like a fun one, I'd say like skydiving. Oh shit! Yeah. Have you skydived? Yeah, I went skydiving. Yeah, out of like um, so I, I I used to work on like fashion sets when I was in New York, and one of the girls uh, that was on set, this model chick, was a a friend that I've known before, like from another mutual friend so i was like oh my god hey you're on set that's crazy whatever and then we like befriended each other and then um she's like hey i'm gonna go uh skydiving tomorrow you want to come and i was like fuck yeah let's do it you were so, like, like i went with yeah, her yeah you're a model fuck yeah <laughs> yeah so i'm just like i'm just gonna go and do this with this model chick let's go hang out with the models so i went and i'm scared of heights so like there's a, that fear strikes into you when you're on the plane. And then also the plane, I don't know if this is like what they usually do, but they fly with the fucking thing open or maybe they close it and then they open it eventually. No, I think they had it open the whole time. The whole, like that freight door thing, that sliding door on the plane. Okay. So like as you're sitting down, you have this fucking wide open fucking door and you're getting lifted off. And like my like vertical strikes, I'm just like, holy fuck, this is so intense. But then, like, it comes to a point where you're so high up, that vertigo just goes away. Right. Everything is kind of a blur, right? And then um, you're also, like, tandem. So you're, like, I felt completely safe. I'm, like, oh, these guys did this for a living. There's no way I'm, like, I'm going to die. So, like, my life is in his hands, and I'm completely okay with it. And then before we jump, he's, like, you want to do a spin? And I'm, like, yeah, man, let's do it. So he, like, 
did a fucking backflip or something or frontflip and we were like spinning for a while and then um yeah it was just like the most accelerating um experience i ever had um tell me some of the tell me some of the conversations from takeoff to when you reach the altitude what are you guys talking about what are you doing what are you thinking I think it was mostly like just very primitive emotions. Like I remember, like um, the model, she was just like, "Say, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you excited? Are you excited? Like, like you, you gotta jump! Don't pussy out! Don't pussy out!" And it's like it was usually like stuff like that, and I'm just like, "No, don't worry, I got this, I got this." And then like a lot of yelling when I was like <laughs> in there. Um, there was a lot of. Um, it's such a crazy sensation because it's something that human beings aren't allowed to like feel, right? Yeah. Like just like like flying, like just drop, drop, like just free falling and then surviving. So when you survive it, like you get this crazy adrenaline rush, like and it it's supposed to last for thirty minutes, but for me it lasted like three hours. Or even when I was like training back to like New York, I had this crazy adrenaline rush. I was feeling so good whatever, whatever, and I met a lot of the, the jumpers there, and all of them were addicted to this, like, high. Yeah. They were, they were constantly, like, chasing this high, and um, there were, one guy I met, he was doing, like, dangerous things where they would um, pull the parachute, like, the last second, like, um, and that, I guess they get a kick out of that. <laughs> Well, yeah, testing it, right? And I I don't know whatever it is, but I'm sure there's some algorithm where it's like, hey, the shoot has to be out by whatever, 8,000 feet or else your miles per hour when you hit will break a leg, paralysis, die, pancake, that type of shit. And I can see those fuckers pushing the limit because like if you've done 100 jumps, you just know. Like you said, dude, they do it for a living. So like I know the shoot's going to open. Yeah. It's yeah, it's um, it's super dangerous because I, I remember when the guy was telling me that he almost crashed into another person because like the speed is also like at that point I think when you pass that point even when you feel have the parachute open you're still going faster than the other person or something I don't know and then like he almost crashed into another guy and they break limbs at that point because they're going so fast right and um, yeah and then when he brought that up this other person like this jumper was just like yeah you fucking dig you shouldn't have done that never do that like we like you know like broke arms and shit i don't know so i was like oh fuck it's so intense and like why would you even want to do that i guess like they're just they're just spread differently you know these people are just fucking different they're junkies but, man i think yeah. pe- i think humans are just junkies yeah for sure yeah everyone wants something different but you're all a fucking junkie yeah yeah I mean, yeah I and mean, for me uh, I, that one experience was great and I, I would do it again but like for now I, like I don't have any like you know I don't have to go and like like chase this crazy experience anymore unless but, a model asks you yeah unless another fucking model asks me then I'll go <laughs> but if not I'm I'm cool with that too because I did it already once so it's just it's been... what did it what was the transition like from falling to the parachute opening was it any sort of different? Did your mind shift in any sort of way? Or you were just so fucking jacked up? Well, the free falling is the craziest part because uh, 
Oh uh, yeah, it, it's the free falling is the craziest part because like you, you like legit like almost feel like you're like swimming in air or like like just diving into air, to like water, but it's separate like air, like really really fast, right? So it's like a really crazy sensation, and your mind's like racing, but at the same time these guys they're so used to it they're just like calm as fuck, right? But for me, I'm just like like my mind's racing like super super fast. And then, like, once the parachute hits, like, I mean, that's, I don't know. It's, that's kind of boring. <laughs> yeah, you're up high, and, like, it takes you, like, a few minutes to, like, fucking, like, soar around, like, 10 minutes or so, and then you finally get, like, it's, the view's nice, like, I guess. But the real experience is the fucking free fall. When you're fucking, it's the craziest experience, like, it doesn't even feel real. It's, I've never experienced any sensation like that. The earth doesn't look real it looks like cartoony right it's yeah because it's never like at least for me it was the first time i experienced anything like that so like for me nothing felt real like i was like what is this a fucking video game like what's going (laughs) on like what is the sensation i'm feeling like it's just like air i'm flying through air and like i I couldn't really like comprehend like everything but yeah it was like if you haven't gone you gotta go yeah i i I never have how long were you free falling for so I don't really know. Like I, I, I think they, they told me like the, the time and everything, but I'm, I'm just like dumb. I don't remember these yeah. things. Yeah. Well, the, um, the reason I ask is because um, I was also in National Guard, and I've gone through like some scenarios of like a fort being attacked and like battle scenes where mm-hmm. I lost my mind in like sergeant school because fucking grenades are going off and all of a sudden people are firing rounds and like shit's real and at the end you you feel i felt like i was done for the day and they were like dude that was a three minute siege i'm like there's no fucking way so that's why i was trying to get the perspective on how long you were falling versus how long it felt like to enjoy do you know? Yeah. So, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Like, I think like what it felt like. If it, it probably like during the moment, it felt quite long, but um, it probably wasn't that long. It was probably like maybe a minute or maybe like less than a minute. But it, it like it felt like, yeah, it felt like maybe like four or five minutes. But I think it was probably like forty seconds or something like that. <laughs> right. I, I I hope like an experienced um. Uh, a skydiver actually listens to this episode and be like, this fucking idiot doesn't remember anything. <laughs> this is why he needed to be tanned up. <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> what would it take for you to go solo? So I think they said you have to do a thousand jumps. Oh, no, no. Was it? No, it was, it was 10 jumps. Yeah, so you have to do 10 jumps, tandem, and then you can go solo or something like that. And then if you do a thousand jumps, then you can do the squirrel suit. And um, um, the the place that we went to was uh, where the army base was, like the west. It was like Westmount, like upstate New York. Okay. And it's where like the army guys like train. And um, it's also where the Red Bull like team trains too. Oh. So like, there's all these guys on squirrel suits, like, like too. It's what's like, yeah, the environment was nuts. They're like, yeah, if you do like thousand jumps solo jumps then you qualify to test out for the squirrel suit and then they show me the squirrel suit i'm like holy fuck this this fucking junk this drug of theirs gets to like different levels you know they're they're jumping off 
planes on a parachute by skydiving, and then they think if they chase the dragon and the dragon's not there anymore, then there's a squirrel suit for them to chase. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, God, these fucking adrenaline junkies, it's doesn't end. <laughs> and what's after the squirrel suit, you know? <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Like going to space? I don't know. <laughs> Dude, yeah, right? That's what they do. They'll fucking leap out of a, from the cosmos. Yeah, yeah, because that's what that guy did in, uh, in the Red Bull team guy. He, like, yeah. fucking jumped down. Yeah, man. That satellite or whatever. It's scary, man. It, it's part of the reason why I never got into Coke. Um, just because I heard, and it, I don't know, I, I feel like it's pretty common knowledge. Like, your next high is never as good as your first high. And it's like, damn, dude, all I'm going to do is spend money chasing a high I'm never going to get again. Like, I don't even want to experience the first one because everything afterwards is going to be so terrible. Um, and yeah. But at the same time, I do kind of have the itch to go skydiving. Like, I think that shit, I think that experience can humble you in a way, can make you just appreciate, I don't know, life, mortality. Yeah, skydiving would definitely recommend. Um, Coke, I wouldn't. And also <laughs> with Coke, you can always go to Colombia or Peru, and it's just, uh, yeah, you are going to find the dragon there. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. You know what? If you're listening, don't do coke. <laughs> I think we definitely need to end it on there. That was fucking awesome. That was an awesome ending. I'll cue in right. the music at this part to make sure that the "Find the Dragon in Colombia" is uh, audible yeah. and clear. David, man, thank you so much for uh, taking so much time, dude. Fucking three and I just looked three and a half hours. Um, yeah, it was fun, dude. This just the time just fucking went. That, that was awesome. Yeah, shooting the shit, man. I um I appreciate it, and um I appreciate your honesty, and good luck with the graphic novel. And that was something. Fuck, man, this is something I should have asked. And I'm, I'm again shitty podcast host. When you say it's six acts, but you're gonna get the first act out hopefully by January. Is that like an episode? So there's like six comics or graphic novels that would come out? Or is that part of, is that one sixth of the larger graphic yeah, novel? Yeah, that's going to be one sixth of the, the whole story, the whole graphic novel. Okay. So it's just the first chapter. Gotcha, gotcha. But it would be just yeah. a part of the total. All right. I yeah. should have followed so, that up, man. But I, again. Oh, no problem, dude. Yeah, it's all good. I didn't. Yeah, this was great, man. Thanks for thanks for the invite, and uh, I'm looking forward to the other episodes, man. Yeah, man. No, appreciate your yeah, support. Keep this up. Yeah, this Pre is awesome. And I also, uh, I'm gonna, I'll, um, I'll link you with uh, my friend's cousin, who was in, uh, who was oh, a, yeah. the actor, the Irish actor, dude. Because he's also in other like Netflix shows as well. He's a uh, he's a great actor. Oh, that'd um, be cool. Yeah, dude. How yeah, fucking yeah. small is the world that like the internet makes those random ass connections? Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh shit, Game of Thrones! I know a motherfucker on Game of Thrones, and you're like, what? And all yeah. of a sudden, it's like, wow, that's a thing. There's this, I don't know, man. I like that's the type of random ass shit I love. Yeah, dude. All right, yeah, man, man, appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your night, and um, yeah, I'll be too. seeing you around. All right, take care, man. Thanks to Andre Psyche for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Search up Andre Psyche on social media. Give him a follow just for the fuck of it. Dear listeners, if you've enjoyed getting to know today's guest or just want to support this upstart podcast, go to our Patreon. 
For as little as $2 a month, your donation will help with all the costs associated with producing the Getting to Know You pod. Don't forget the three free ways to support the pod. One, subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod. Two, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Three, go to Apple, write a review. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. See you.